0: users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Syberg. This week on the Tech Night Out Live, we'll learn about another new social networking service supposedly offering the best of the others with Krista Olson. We'll also hear from Rob Griffiths, who writes for Macworld Magazine as Associated with Many Tricks Software. He'll compare Siri Voice versus Google. On the security front, we'll have Jeff Irwin, CEO of Intego, and Lisa Myers, one of their security analysts, and we'll talk about the malware threat and their solutions. And then we'll hear from Rob Peguerero, who writes for USA Today, and will report on the Mobile World Congress, all this and more, on the Tech Night Owl Live. Yeah! We're joined now by Krista Olson. She is the Director of Communications <laughs> for FEED. And what is FEED. Um, Therein lies a tale, and we're going to ask Krista all about that. So, okay, what, pray tell, is Feed?
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on, Jean. Um, Feed is a new social media platform that in some ways has cherry-picked kind of the best features of the various other social platforms out there, be they Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram, vidi and vine and kind of put them all into one very easy and simple to use app and web platform so on feed you can share text you can share sound you can share videos audio photos all in kind of a live stream that is in some ways similar to the user experience of instagram
0: okay so the real big question here is you already have two very popular social networking services facebook and twitter so what do you think you're bringing to the table that would encourage people to start looking at your solution?
1: I think that's a great question. I think people are becoming overwhelmed with how many options they have for social sharing. You know, you have SoundCloud for sound and you have now Instagram for photos. And it's become very kind of segmented, even though, you know, you have Twitter for text, even though you can do photos and videos you know, embedded in Twitter, you kind of have to click a link and then go to the photo or the video. So we kind of felt that there wasn't really one platform for social sharing of all digital mediums in a simple way. And we kind of thought that there was room for that in the atmosphere. And, you know, today's day nine of being number one in the social category. So, you know, luckily, and and we've been very grateful, we're, we're doing pretty well. And it's exciting.
0: Well, as we're talking, I'm going to sign up and see what it's like. Now, in terms of text, you're not locked into 140 characters, are you?
1: You have 420 characters on feed. And there's also no limit on video share or uh, photo share. So your photos can be any size. You can, if you want, upload a full-length feature film on feed. You can do sa- songs, voice notes, all-, all forms of sound. We kind of always wondered why sound wasn't integrated into the social media landscape as, as much as we would have thought it would be. So on Feed, it's kind of fun. You can you can quickly go through the app and just like on instagram you can upload a photo straight from the app you can you can do a voice note you can talk into your phone and say what well, you could do this interview on feed if you wanted to all
0: right well, maybe of course we'll post a link to this interview on feed on my account now yeah, do you have special features like we have on facebook for example on our other show the powercast we have a powercast fan club or a group <laughs> able to do that
1: can you explain a little bit deeper what you're saying
0: Okay. What I mean is we have a special group who caters to listeners to our radio show. So it's like a group or a club or a separate area for people who are interested in that show. Do you have anything like that?
1: I see So on feed, you would probably want to set up a channel for your show specifically. So it's called a channel and and you create the content and people can subscribe similar to how they might follow someone on Twitter. Okay. And if you were to, for example, put this interview as an audio post on feed, then all of your listeners could comment in what's our what's called our feedback section. And they could also, if they really liked what you said, they could they could remix it to their own channel, which, which is a feature we have that's very similar to a retweet. So it's a way for content to go viral.
0: Okay, now this is starting to get interesting. So, okay, so you're really soaring in the App Store. Your app
1: yeah.
0: has been you know, at the top of the heap. So what is there about the way you set things up that attracts people who are suffering from social networking overload for want of a better term?
1: So it's a couple things, you know, for one, the idea that we have, we've cherry picked all of our favorite features and put them on one platform that's kind of very simple and easy to use, I think is very appealing to people that no longer know where to post their content. Like, do I put my photo on Instagram? And do I put my, you know, my text on Twitter? And do I, you know, share with my friends on Facebook? Like, where can I do all of this in one place? So I think that that is probably one of the primary intriguing features, but then, you know, there are other things like we were one of the first, I think the first platform that allows users to copyright their content. So, you know, before you upload this radio interview, for example, onto your feed channel, there's actually a physical copyright button you can put that will encrypt your content with a watermark as well as legally copyright it. So, so you, the, the user on feed owns all of their content and uh, feed makes no claim to it whatsoever. So I think that for creatives, um, this is really a valuable and attractive um, part of part of feed.
0: Now, explain the differences here with regard to Facebook. It's got a very complicated set of user settings and permissions, and what's public and what's private, and all that stuff.
1: Well, exactly. I think that you know, and and obviously users were were a little bit. Outraged when when they heard that Instagram might sell their photos, but you know I think the Instagram act ended up retracting that statement. But I, I think the key here is that it's just not very clear who owns what, and and so on feed we make that very clear. The the user owns everything. We we make no right to it whatsoever. I th- I think that's appealing for people. I think if you're a photographer and and you're going to upload a beautiful photo. Especially on the web when things, you know, get circulated and, and you don't remember who the originator of the content is, to be able to click this little button and have it physically put a watermark of your name at the bottom of the photo, it doesn't matter where it goes, it will, it will always be able to be traced back to the originator. So, you know, we, we built this platform wanting to give creatives all possible abilities to share their work. Online, so so I think for that reason we we've been very attractive to the creative community.
0: Now, how do you get the word out to people? I mean, right now, Twitter has a few hundred million users. Facebook has what hundreds and hundreds of millions of users. Google Plus is growing. How do you get the word out there?
1: Yeah, you know, I I I think that that obviously luck plays a little factor. We, you know, our our tech team. We're we're a very small team. We're self funded and. we've been growing, you know, we're, we're, we're at number one for, for nine days now in in the app store in social, we made it up to number four in, in all apps in the app store total, most popular. So we've been lucky to be experiencing quite a bit of, um, popularity that's unexpected. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully we built a platform that people love. And as soon as they discover it, it becomes a favorite among them. And and I think in terms of promoting your own channel, I think obviously using your other, your, uh, the other social networks that you're already on and that you already have a following on, I think letting people know that they can find you on feed is definitely one way to attract attention. But then the best way is just to have great content because ultimately if you have great content on your channel, people will discover it. And, and your channel has the ability to go viral and, and gain a lot of subscribers very quickly.
0: Care to tell us how many subscribers you have right now?
1: I'm not allowed to say at this moment. We had, um, we had over a million in our first six weeks since we launched in, in mid-October, and that was before we even put the app out. So that's the last stat we've given about our user base.
0: So when you get to 10 million, you'll, you'll tell us.
1: Yes. <laughs> when
0: you reach certain specific milestones.
1: Exactly. Um, but but suffice it to say, we're, we're doing we're doing very well beyond what we would have expected, and and we're just very excited and, and grateful and humbled by the experience.
0: Now I'm going to ask you a question here, but you'll answer it our next segment because we're running low on time. Perfect. And that is okay. So it's available on the iOS, but we know there are other platforms out there, other mobile platforms. So for example, there's Android, and of course you have the Mac and the PC with both of which offer some sort of way to get on Twitter and Facebook and Google+. So the question I'm going to ask, and we'll expect your answer in our next segment, is are you available right now for users of traditional computing platforms and also for the Android platform? Our guest is Krista Olson. She's Director of Communications for FEED. That's spelled with a P-H-E-E-D. I'm Gene Steinberg.
2: Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit Rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S.com.
3: Friends, this is Alex Jones for MidasResources.com. For more than 15 years, I have exclusively used Midas Resources for all my precious metal needs. Whether it's bullion or collectibles you're looking for, Midas Resources is simply the best. I own my gold as a hedge against inflation. This Federal Reserve fiat currency could go the way of the Deutschmark and the Weimar Republic any time. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237.
4: HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with microplant powder. Order today at 888 910 4367 or visit hempusa.org.
7: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow night owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com.
0: Krista Olson joining us. She is director of communications for feed, P-H-E-E-D. Go to feed.com to learn more. It's a new social networking service designed to supposedly capture the best of the existing services and improve on them and make them better. So the question I had here is, you're popular, available on the iOS platform. What about Android? What about traditional and Mac and PC users?
1: So we we do have a web platform. Our CEO, Odikobo thought that that was really important. So in mid-October, we actually launched only via the website. So people that don't have an iPhone can still sign up for feed very easily at www.feed.com. And our Android is in development. Our tech guys are working around the clock to finish that. So in the next couple weeks, probably definitely in the next month, we will have the Android out as well.
0: Without getting into technical details, maybe beyond your pay grade here, and that is, (laughs) is it more difficult to develop an app for the Android platform?
1: I I don't know if it's more difficult. I just think that we love Android. Um, I think that we thought it was important to launch initially with the iPhone. I I know other people, you know, Vine, I think, launched initially with an iPhone, and and many early adopters use iPhone, and and we could only do one thing at a time. You know, again, we're a small team, so... um, so we decided to start with the iPhone. But Android was always, you know, something else we had in mind. And as soon as we can finish that, that will be out. I don't know if it's more difficult. I think that both just take quite a bit of time and, and effort and focus. So
0: Now, I notice here you do have a certain level of integration with Twitter and with Facebook.
8: Yes. So, that's-
0: yeah, I'm looking at the preferences as we talk. So when you do things... On your feed account, you can also copy it on Twitter.
1: Yeah, you can actually tweet directly through Feed if you want to, um, and everything is shareable onto Facebook and Twitter. So you can you can change your settings so that every time you love something on Feed, which is similar to a like on Facebook or a star on Twitter, um, you can have it directly share to your networks, or you can click to not have that um, happen on your. Uh, in your share settings. You can also decide to only share to your networks when you upload a piece of content. It's, you know, I think that we've built the share settings so that you can do all those things and just depending on your preference.
0: Okay. So the big action here is that you started the service, you got a million users in the first few weeks, and you're hoping to grow over the next years to become big and successful, a major contender (laughs) and competitor to these other services so how do you monetize such a thing of course the, obviously with facebook it's ads twitter i'm not quite sure how they monetize twitter so how does feed monetize feed
1: so so we have actually a pretty interesting business model um we are the first social media platform that gives users the ability to monetize their content so on feed. If you want to, you can, um, you can actually charge for your content. You can do that either by placing a paywall on your channel. So for example, that might work in a scenario where, you know, we have, we have a tech guy who gives tutorials on how to build gadgets and he charges 34 99 to access his channel and, and people are, are, are subscribing to him and loving him. So I think that in, in, you know, professors giving classes, People giving tutorials or you know networks with interesting B-roll to share. I think the options are really limitless. But then the second option for monetization is um,
0: that—that's have- user monetization. Does Feed get a piece of the action?
1: So Feed takes yeah a revenue split with with the mo- with the channels that monetize and and we're hoping that that will be able to keep us ad-free. Um, so that's the business model.
0: Okay, so you set up a subscription service for your content and we assume it's got to be something premium it's not just well listen to what gene is raving about today because i (laughs) guarantee you people will be asking for their money back (laughs) But if you want to have something then that maybe like a online radio show or instruction videos or something they post it you set up a subscription package for that you pay thus and so to get that content and you get a few pieces off that content And that pays your salary and everybody else's salary.
1: That's the hope. We're we're hoping to inspire um, content creation for the web because we don't really see that out there so far, you know, and, I didn't mention there are actually two ways to monetize. So, so the paywall is one, but um, my my personal favorite is you can have a free channel gene, and you can, um, you know, constantly upload whether it's radio interviews or talks you give or, you know, photos, what have you. And then every once in a while, you can do a live broadcast video, and you can charge a pay per view just to attend that live event. So, let's say you have the now deceased uh, Steve jobs back in the day doing an interview, I would definitely pay a couple dollars to watch a live interview with Steve jobs. So I think that the idea that, um, or, you know, if you're a boxer and you're having a live boxing match, you no longer need to do pay-per-view on TV. You can actually do pay-per-view on the web. We actually just got Mike Tyson to sign up for a channel and as well as the WWE. So I'm very interesting to see how they utilize, um, that element, but I, I, you know, artists can do live, uh, musicians can do live concerts on feed, artists can give live tutorials on how they paint, or comedians can do stand up from their kitchen, like, you know, the possibilities with the live broadcast are really endless. And then you don't restrict your users by having the paywall element. So I, I think different types of content would would utilize, you know, one of the two various systems, depending on what they are exactly. And again, you know, it's free to join feed. It's it's free to be on feed. It's a it's just a percentage of our users that use the monetize option, but I think that To give content creators that option for the web, especially in the social landscape where that's never been possible, I I think is interesting and and we're all excited to see how creative people get with it.
0: Well, I'm going to look at it myself because I want to see if there's a way I can monetize it. (laughs) Briefly because we have only a few seconds left. Whose bright idea was to start this service?
1: It's a man by the name of Odie Kobo. He's he's a genius and um, I I feel so grateful to to be working for him. Him and his crew of, of seven tech, Guys that he's been working with for the last ten years of his life, and um, you can you can find out more about him on the web because I know we have limited space. But him and his team built this by hand over the last couple years, and, and we only launched a couple months ago, so it's it's pretty exciting that, that people are liking it and enjoying the platform, and we hope that that continues to be the case.
0: Now, I gather from the Forbes piece, you're getting a lot of younger people participating.
1: Yeah, in the last couple days, we we've had a lot of teenagers. They've they've kind of they found Feed and in a viral way have just become obsessed with the platform. So that's definitely been exciting for us. <laughs> I'd say teens have, have driven more traffic to Feed than, than the celebrities on Feed, which is pretty amazing. But we also have a lot of artists, musicians, painters, you know, all, all kinds of people. I wouldn't say it's limited to teens, but they, they've definitely become very active in the last week or so.
0: Once again, tell our listeners where they can find more information about getting set up Feed.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course you can go to the website, um, which is www.feedwithaph.com, or you can go and and get it on the on the App Store.
0: And for those of you who don't have an iOS device, an iPad or an iPhone or iPod Touch, never fear, there will be an Android <laughs> version in their future. Krista Olson, Director of Communications for Feed. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Tech Night Out Live.
1: Thank you so much, Gene.
4: Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more.
0: We are the GCN Radio Network. Hey, neighbors. Got a small business or a large company that needs to be online 24-7? Well, here's the little secret. To make sure your site is always online, you need world-class DNS service from Dyn. That's D-Y-N. For years, Dyn has been helping companies ranging from the scrappy young startup to the giant media moguls of the world with making sure websites are fast and always available and that your emails are getting delivered. D-Y-N, get faster internet by using Dyn for DNS. Visit dyn.com slash podcast 30. Fill out the contact form or start shopping right away and save 30% by using the promo code PODCAST30 at checkout. Again, visit dyne.com that's dot com slash
9: PODCAST30. Check them out today. Hey there, my name is Frank Bates. Do you know the number one most valuable item in a crisis? Some people think the answer is gold. Others think it's a gun. But the correct answer will shock you. I just created a free video at Crisis123.com that reveals a surprising item that is more valuable than gold in a crisis. Ninety-seven percent of Americans don't have this one critical item. In fact, they haven't even given it a thought. And the sad truth is that you may not survive without it when a real crisis hits and a starving mob is right outside your door. But I have to tell you, it could literally make the difference between life and death for you and your family. Watch my video at Crisis123.com to discover the number one most valuable item in a crisis you'll be shocked see the controversial video that thousands of other smart patriots have already seen in the last three months go watch my video now at crisis123.com before they force me to shut it down again that's (coughs) crisis123.com
10: are you Still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by La Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With La e-Cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made and e-liquids at LaSig.com. And LaSig smokes the competition by My name is
11: Stephen Hewer. After 22 years of nutritional counseling, I've observed that most brain malfunctions have at their roots some form of toxicity and brain damage. So whether it is poor memory, poor focus, lack of creative thinking, or more serious matters like inability to focus, speak normally, or remember things, the emphasis to getting one's brain working optimally needs to be on detoxification. One World Way supports your body's number one means of detoxification, which is glutathione production.
12: My name is Angie, and my son has suffered from borderline autism and constipation. I got him on One World Way, and in two months, his constipation is gone. He has become friendlier. He can carry on a normal conversation with me, and he has made his first friend. He's doing great, and he looks forward to taking One World Way every day. You could offer him a present or a cake, and he would prefer the One World Way.
11: Go to OneWorldWay.com. That's one Y.com, Or call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325.
13: You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next.
0: We have Rob Griffiths. He's a contributor to Macworld, and he also works with a company called Many Tricks, and they've got some really cool apps for the Mac that you want to check out we'll talk about those very briefly later but right now we'll talk about the current apple issues and one of the things that i wanted to bring up is the fact that we had rob on several times over the past few years where he says that he cannot stand glossy displays so of course you don't like plasma tvs either do you
14: no, and in fact, the uh, when we go wet, last time we went TV shopping, uh, it has become increasingly difficult not to, to to find a glossy display. It's very hard to find a matte or more matte like, and that's because glossy does make things look rich and vibrant as long as the lighting is perfect and nothing's behind you glaring off the screen. So yeah, it took a while to find our current set, but I don't see the upside of the beautiful vibrant colors when every light looks like it's a perfect uh, mirror image of reality in your screen. Speaking of reality, what
0: kind of TV did you get?
14: I think it's a it's a Mitsubishi. It's one of the um. It's not a it's not a flat screen LED. It's a uh, liquid crystal on silica and the spinning disc of uh, colors. The Texas Instruments thing. I can't remember the technology name of it. But it's you know it's it's it's, it's a maybe a foot deep instead of flat, but it's fairly light and it's a matte screen or
0: closer to a matte screen than any of the LED ones we looked at. Well, it's not so bad in our master bedroom where we have a plasma TV set, but. One of the sets we're going to review in the near future, it's LCD, backlit display, all that stuff. We'll have to see what kind of reflections we get. But, okay, we take this to the fact that Apple has been very reluctant to provide matte displays on their current products. And the iMac's an example. Now, I have a 27-inch iMac here, not the new generation, but a couple of generations behind, And I understand the glossiness, except that the way my office is lit, my office studio or whatever you want to call it, I have no glare. I have no reflection problems. I'm lucky.
14: Yeah, uh, I actually have that, probably that same generation. It's a couple years old uh, with the full glossy screen on it. And the uh, same situation as you, I basically, I do have a backlight situation, but I arrange the office such that it's no longer shining on the screen. So I sort of changed my working environment to make it uh, a bearable situation. But, you know, the value of the iMac when I was buying was hard to beat. So I put up with the glossy and I actually have
0: extra displays connected, which are matte. So I tend to put a lot of stuff on those displays. If you can't get the thing to work the way you like, if Apple won't design the thing to your taste, you redesign your work area.
14: Yeah, and obviously when I can, I buy the mat Like uh, my my MacBook Pro is also a couple years old, and it's the 15 inch with the uh, Apple calls it the anti glare, as opposed to non glossy, but uh, has the anti glare widescreen on it, and and I love that. I mean, I think it's it's near a near perfect display, and Apple of course doesn't like it because it doesn't look as cool as the glossy glassy ones do, and they're all black and accompanying, uh bands around the edges. But uh, for me, it's perfect.
0: What about the Retina display? Have you tried one of those?
14: I've looked at a friend's. It looked pretty nice, but we were in a fairly ideal location for looking at it. There were not any overhead backlights, and, and the lighting was pure. They're, they're gorgeous, and obviously the, the text of those resolutions just looks stunning.
0: Uh, so they're, they're pretty cool. Of course, Apple has a new construction technique for the 2012 iMac, which, of course, has made it impossible for them to meet demand. <laughs> you know, think about this, for example. You spend all this time... Developing this unique construction technique, embedding the flat panel onto the cabinet for the new iMac, but it's impossible to build. (laughs)
14: It's a (laughs) trade-off.
0: Right. Uh, You have fewer of them, so therefore you get fewer complaints about glossy glare stuff.
14: Now, I haven't seen it in person, but if it's like the, uh, you know, the MacBook Air has always sort of had an advantage in the glossy department in that it doesn't have that extra layer of glass over it that the MacBook Pros have. And I find the Air's display acceptable. I mean, it, it's, it's, not, it's not matte, but it's not as glossy as their shiny, glossy screens. So if the iMac has moved to look essentially more like a MacBook Air, I think that's probably an acceptable trade-off. Uh, anything that heads away from the mirrored display is, is a good thing in my book.
0: Well, one of my friends, Randy, got a 21 and a half inch iMac which probably when he ordered it was the only one he could get and i set it up for him the other day and the screen looks beautiful but his lighting area was such that reflections wouldn't appear anyway it's kind of a dark area right so there you go we'll have to see whether apple has now listened in its own way in making an impossible to build construction technique to follow what rob griffiths wants it's (laughs) your fault by the way people who are have to wait Uh three four weeks to get a new iMac with a better display call rob (laughs) at many tricks software because he's going to invent a new kind of trick (laughs) to avoid taking those calls yeah we don't have a phone number (laughs) well there you go you're like some web hosts that do that too there's one that we like one of our partners dreamhost and they're really good people but they don't have a call in number so if you want support By phone, they call you. Uh, Yeah, and we do have a number that people can
14: uh, call if they absolutely positively have to, but given we're a very small company, the odds of getting support are actually much better via the web or email. And personally, the reason I prefer those methods is that uh, it is a nice paper trail so I can see what the conversation has been and you don't lose uh, track of the issue you're working on and you can refer back to prior conversations. So for me, uh, anything that has a tangible trail behind it will beat voice any day of the week. Um, But the the reality is as a two-person company staff, a phone support line is simply undoable. You
0: go broke or yep. you would never sleep. Yeah, exactly. Or you'd recruit the kids and the wife to help. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'm not sure my six-year-old is much for tech support yet. You know, they're pretty smart now. Like <laughs> Randy, true. my friend Randy has a three-year-old granddaughter. Her name is Madison. Beautiful blonde-haired girl. And I swore listening to her talk that she was maybe five or six, not three. Uh-huh. Amazing. Kids are so smart these days. All right. Speaking of smart, you think that you have a very smart, brilliant executive at Apple, and they leave the company, or maybe you hire them away, and they would take their magic, and they'd make magic at another company. So we have the hardware guy over at Apple, John Rubenstein, who did some great work when he was over at Apple. He goes back with Steve Jobs over many years. I think he was at Next at one time. In any case, Rubenstein goes to Palm. Whatever happened to Palm... <coughs>
14: It's now uh, been bought by, what, Lenovo for their TVs? Is that what I just read?
0: I think so. It's LG, actually. What happened here is that HP bought Palm. HP makes the touchpad, tablet. It sold so badly that within weeks, they killed the product and sold them off for $99 per edition, had the best sales they could ever get. Now they sold the web OS to LG, who will not use it for smartphones, they will not use it for tablets. LG makes Android tablets and smartphones. They'll use it for a TV set.
14: <laughs> yeah, That's really smart. That
0: <laughs> and John Rubinstein, I guess he's retired or counting his riches or something like that. I, I would assume so. I don't actually know what he's up to. He left uh, yet, HP after the acquisition.
14: Right. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the question is, so, so why do they fail? And um, we, the other side of the coin, I think, uh, is well, not the other side of the coin. Another example would be obviously the retail side of apple
0: where um... yes i was going to tell you let's go to the retail side so i met the guy by the way really nice guy ron johnson became vice president of retail for apple and he and steve jobs create the apple store and everyone says this is ridiculous i mean gateway couldn't make it with a retail store apple's gonna make it with a retail store ha 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 400 stores later around the world these are absolute profit makers. You've got to think. Steve Jobs, Ron Johnson, brilliant people. Ron Johnson worked at Target. He has a great history as a retail executive. So now you have JC Penney. Now J. C. Penney, who cares about J. C. Penny? Yeah, you know, it's like Sears, it's like Kmart. These are aging Retail chains that nobody really cares about. They have no brand identity. But then again, take Dillard's and Macy's and tell me the difference other than the name of the right. <laughs> of the banner on the front of the store. Go into a Dillard's, go into a Macy's and tell me the difference with those stores. And they're successful stores, by the way. But we have J.C. Penny trying to remake their image. So what do they do? They hire Ron Johnson away from Apple. We'll get more into that in a moment. We have Rob Griffiths of Many Tricks and also a contributor to Macworld Magazine on the Tech Night Out Live.
4: The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN,
0: great talk radio starts here. if
6: you're considering a water filter, have you heard about Aquapel?
0: Aquapail from
6: FreezeDryGuy.com has huge advantages over many other water filters. American made Aquapel units are designed and engineered to not just filter contaminated water, but capture or kill all bacteria and viruses to non-detectable levels. Aquapel has the fastest flow rate of any other water filter on the market, filtering a gallon of contaminated water in about five minutes. That's water when you need it. Now, get the world's fastest, safest, and most most Reliable gravity fed portable water treatment system for surface, well, and wastewater sources. Aquapail. Available in four sizes starting at only $100. In all orders to the lower 48, ship free. Call 866 404 3663 or go to freeze That's 866 404 3663 or freeze dry 100% veteran owned. The Freeze Dry Guy.
4: Registered pharmacist Ben Fuchs understands the importance of supplementing with glucosamine and chondroitin for optimal health and vitality. That's why he recommends Glucogel from Longevity.
10: Get on the glucagel caps from Longevity. They're a great way to treat arthritis and any kind of joint issues. And oh, by the way, glucosamine is great for helping support the vascular system, the blood vessel system too. So you'll get multiple benefits from the glucagel caps. You'll be able to treat your arthritis and joints as well as your, uh, as well as the circulatory system. And also the glucagel caps can help prevent wrinkles. The glucagel caps support collagen synthesis. Take pharmacist Ben's advice and support your
4: joint, circulatory system, and skin health by ordering Glucogel from Longevity. Call 866-735-2470. That's 866-735-2470 or on the web at brightsideben.com. That's brightsideben.com. Order today. You're listening
13: to the Tech Night Owl Live. With Gene Steinberg, you never know what's going to happen next.
0: Rob Griffiths, he's a very outspoken commentator, writes for Macworld. He also is one of the two-person team that runs many Tricks software. Some great Mac apps, we'll talk about them later. So... The theory being here, if you have an executive at Apple who can make magic, well, if you hire him away, will he bring you magic? So JCPenney, looking for magic and relevance, hires Ron Johnson to run the place. Okay, headline, this is from appleinsider.com. Former Apple retail chief presides over JCPenney's lowest sales in 20 years. What do you make of
14: that? (laughs) Well, you know, it's obvious that it certainly helps when you work for one of the most successful companies on the planet. Uh, you can certainly look good. But, uh, you know, I think in both situations, the change is a, is sort of a little bit of both. I think Rubenstein and Johnson have probably both done great work. I mean, WebOS was actually lauded as a very well-designed operating system that was pleasant to use, but he moved into a situation where he's at you know, instead of being in a market dominant company, he's at one of the tiniest companies in the market, trying to scratch out a, a piece of share with a partner or owner that isn't necessarily fully in the game and willing to make the billions of dollars that would have to be invested to uh, to make a difference against the established competition. If you go to the J C Penney side, it's it's almost the same situation. Uh, they were J C Penney was in trouble before they hired Ron Johnson, which is why they hired Ron Johnson. And you're coming into a culture that I mean, how old is J C Penney? He's 100 and some odd years. 90. It's a very old chain. And in order to succeed at remaking them, I think your printer's got to wipe the slate clean and start over. But to do that with a 90 some odd year old company with a board of directors and an established way of doing business and a whole large number of existing storefronts that are designed in an ex- uh, how they are, that's an incredibly expensive, time consuming, complicated thing to do. So even if you're the best at what you do, going into a situation like that, your odds you're of success are are really difficult. I mean, it was, it was doing poorly. It's got an established way of doing poorly. And, and you want to change that into a new way of doing business? Yeah, that's, a, that's a hard thing to ask of anyone. Uh, and especially, you can't really just take what you did at Apple and throw it into the JCPenney retail model and make it work. You can't have a JCPenney store that's only, what, 750 to 1,000 square feet. Those things are monstrous. The little personal feel and approach in the open table design of an Apple store isn't really translate to a 100,000 square foot big box.
0: And the other thing to bear in mind, too, here is you're not building a retail chain from scratch like you did with Apple. With Apple, you're starting from scratch. You have no baggage. Here, you have 100 years of baggage. And the worst thing is, it's like they try a new strategy every week. So it's like JCPenney is a new store every week. So all the customers are wondering, what am I doing here? One week, they're not having sales. The next week, everything's on sale. I don't know what this is. (laughs) I'm not going to bother because there are nine other department exactly. stores that are also as anonymous as J.C. JCPenney. And maybe I'll find what I want there. Or is this the silk purse and the sow's ear argument?
14: Well, you know, it's a little bit of both. Clearly, with Apple, the the situation was you open an Apple retail store. Before there had been zero. Now there are some. And if somebody wants an Apple product, they want to see, well, sorry, zero is wrong. There were Apple independent retailers, but the experience was poor. Best Buy, I think, had the stuff. They had to go find it in the back and hit it on the back of a rack and usually beat up and out of stock. So Apple said, we can do this better. And they did. So basically, if you're an Apple shopper, you had a choice between going to a, a retail store that had a crummy, poor experience for Apple product and maybe there's 400 PCs and two Macs in the building or you go to the Apple store it's 100% Apple and you they know what they're talking about, and they know you're going to help them solve your problem. So it's a simple decision to go to the Apple store. Like you said, JCPenney, you've got 400 other choices, which are at least as good, if not better. How do you change your business such that you compete with those stores? Apple didn't have to worry about competing with the retailers that were currently carrying their brand because, I mean, they're Apple. And they went in and said, here's a store we're going to build, and we're going to dedicate it to Apple. And you know, the people that really sort of got hurt in the process, uh, in Portland here we have a, a local semi-local chain called the Mac Store. And amazingly, they are still in business, still a great place to go. They are Mac-only. Uh, they push it well. They design their stores well. So I was very happy to see them survive the onslaught of the Apple Store. And the last time I talked to them, they said it had actually helped their business because it got the name Apple out in more places, and people weren't, oh, what is that? You know, they actually go to the store now. So they did have to move because they were located less than a mile from the first Apple Store that opened here. But their new location is, uh, has been doing well, and they've been open there for quite a while. So it's been interesting to see. But, yeah, there's, there's clearly good executives doing good things at Apple, but they, they clearly have an edge doing them at Apple versus
0: trying to do them at JCPenney or at HP. Let's move to an article you did recently for Macworld comparing Siri and the voice recognition service at Google. Now, of course, Siri is kind of an iconic thing here. You've got all of those great TV commercials with De Deschanel and Samuel L. Jackson. And these are people who say to Siri, I want this. And with Samuel L. Jackson, you know Siri will listen. <laughs> but if regular people ask Siri to do things, eh, Siri has a mind of her own or its own or whatever it is. So you did this kind of test. And tell us, how did you set this test to see which oh. is better, Siri or Google?
14: Well, it's sort of an odd question. I wasn't really setting out to see what was better. I just, i sort of gotten frustrated by Siri on, on a couple of fronts. One, it seemed very slow at times. And two, like oftentimes anyone has the answer, she stops speaking to you and you have to look down at the screen and see what she's displayed on the screen. So I tried Google Voice Search just on a lark and, and was stunned at how quickly it responded to your, to your voice and the usefulness of the results that it presented. So I thought I would just set up a few questions and ask both of them the same questions, time how long it took, basically from the time I started talking until I got a response that was usable
0: and uh, compare the two. Okay, so the four questions, can you tell us what they were?
14: Yeah, I I started by, I think my first question was, how do you spell exuberant? And then I wanted to check some sports scores. So I asked who won the Trailblazers basketball game last night. The uh, local team here is the Portland Trailblazers. And then I asked how you uh, make vanilla ice cream Uh, because that seemed like something i might want to make someday and then finally i asked how high was mount kilimanjaro so those were the four questions i asked it i essentially let siri run and then i did the same thing with google voice search and uh, timed each one back to back and sort of uh, went through all four and then saw how long the, the times took and was sort of astonished at the results so tell us
0: quickly what kind of results did you
14: get Well, basically, Google is about twice as fast as Siri when you're doing these sort of knowledge-based inquiries. Uh, The spelling test, there was only about a second gap between the two. But uh, sports was uh, two seconds faster, four versus six. The cooking question for vanilla ice cream was uh, three seconds versus eight seconds. And the height of Mount Kilimanjaro was, again, eight versus four. A lot of the slowdown in Siri comes when you ask her something that she herself doesn't directly know, and she has to go to one of her associated services, like the height of Mount Kilimanjaro. Apple uses Wolfram Alpha. uh, their knowledge engine to look up those facts. So you ask Siri, she translates your voice, then that translation is sent to Wolfram, it gives an answer which gets sent back to Siri displayed on your screen. When you ask Google, Google just asks Google. (laughs) So there's no third party to go speak to and it's a search engine and it's designed to find answers quickly. So that's what it does. But the other difference is that I found Google sort of spoke answers more and gave more relevant answers. And sort of the best example is how do you make vanilla ice cream? Siri didn't know how to make vanilla ice cream, so what does she do? She says, would you like me to look that up on the web for you? Well, yes. I mean, I asked you how to make vanilla ice cream. If you don't know, why don't you just go ahead and do that without asking my permission? Because now I have to say, yes, please go look that up in the web. I wait another eight seconds and then I get the search results. Google basically just spit a page of recipes up on the screen and said, here you
0: go. Well, it's the thing here with Siri. It's like saying, you're being too polite. Just do what I'm asking and don't give me the red tape.
14: Yeah, and uh, I can't remember if it was the spelling of the sports. Oh, uh, Siri also has this tendency to uh, display a result on screen and go, here you go, Rob. It's like, okay, stop, look down at the screen. Oh, yeah, that's what I did want. Whereas uh, Google, since you talked to it in voice, seems to understand that it should talk back to you in voice. So for the height of Mount Kilimanjaro, Google actually told me how high it was. I had to look at the screen on uh, Siri
0: to get the answer. And isn't that kind of working against the ease of use for these products and services? I mean, if you're using speech recognition on a smartphone, you'd like not to have to look at it, especially if you're driving. Exactly,
14: and you know there are clearly things where Siri has a huge edge. Number one, she's part of the operating system, so she can schedule appointments, she can send emails, she can do all these task-oriented things that, that honestly, Google search either can't do, or you'd have to make some sort of kludgy workaround to make happen, or you'd have to do it through Google's web client instead of your native email app. So uh, it's not a perfect replacement for Siri, but. In terms of searching for knowledge, it was sort of night and day, eye-opening, that it's much faster to use Google, and the results you get seem to be more relevant, and they understand you're talking to them, so they'll talk back to you. And the other kind of really cool thing, if you watch the video on Macworld, you can see this, um, Siri seems to batch. So you say a sentence to Siri, Siri, how high is Mount Kilimanjaro? You sort of see nothing on your screen, and she sort of comes back and says all at once, how high is Mount Kilimanjaro? Here you go, Rob. Uh, When you speak to Google's voice search tool as you speak, it transcribes each and every word as you're saying it. Uh, and I have no idea how it's doing it. I, I don't know if the, the net connection is actually that fast that it can translate a word at a time, or if it's doing some sort of local translation. But w- whatever it is, it's, it's astonishingly good at it. You can see as you're talking if it misinterpreted anything you said.
0: We have Rob Griffiths joining us. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night How Live. <laughs>
15: Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. New changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever before eliminate their debts once and for all. There's no need for you to suffer another day with IRS debt. Call 800-346-6829. I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my Website taxhelponline.com. That's taxhelponline.com.
7: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: We have Rob Griffiths joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. He works with many Tricks, a software company producing Mac apps, and we'll get into those in a moment. But right now we're talking about the Siri versus Google comparison, and this was all done on... An iPhone or an iPad, right?
14: Uh, yeah, I think I actually did it on my iPad mini. And, okay. uh, you can, and, obviously, and that's another advantage of Google. Uh, if you have an older iOS device and haven't heated Apple's wishes and upgraded every year, Google Voice Search works, I think, as far back as uh, the iPhone uh, 4, maybe even the 3G, uh, where Siri needs newer hardware. Okay, So for those who haven't upgraded, there's clearly an advantage to being able to voice search using Google versus not being able to do anything with Siri on their older hardware. You know, overall, I was just amazed at how well it worked. And the sort of the instantaneous transcription of what you're saying was, was very impressive. And then obviously, because it is a search engine, whatever you ask it, It's going to know something about it, and it'll show you those results on a search results page. And if they don't have the top hit, then you scroll down a bit. More than likely, you can find exactly what it was you were looking for. If you're using Siri and you're asking her knowledge questions, you're either waiting for a couple data providers to get back to you or you're getting a helpful comment of, would you like me to look that up on the web for you? No, thanks. Since you don't know, I I guess I don't really need to know either. I mean, come on. Just look it up.
0: Well, this is a bigger question to ask than. How does Apple speed that up? Does Apple make a deal with Bing or Google to support Siri or improve their own voice recognition services?
14: You know, I think what we've seen with Maps is that they're seem, seemingly uninterested in working with third parties on key technologies, and I think they would probably consider Siri a key technology, the iPhone. And, and obviously, it sells well in advertisements, and if you read the fine print, you'll notice they've del- they've edited out all the delays, because when the actor speaks to their phone, they get responses like that. And uh, boy, if it worked like that, that'd be amazing. So, you know, I think they will continue to refine it. I don't think it's a bad tool at all, and the fact that it can do all the task-oriented things means... I- I, I still do use it, but when I have to look up knowledge things now, I more, than off, more often than not turn to Google's voice search.
0: I wonder how it would fare on an Android phone. Is Siri? No, I'm talking about Google. Would it even be better? Oh, uh,
14: Yeah, I, I've actually never even tried that. But uh, I can't, you know, that's one thing I sort of admire about Google is that they haven't seemingly, well, there was a whole Maps navigation thing in the original iPhones, but as of late, the apps they're bringing to the iPhone are full-featured, and in many cases, people are saying they work better than the versions that are on the Android phones. So, you know, they're not handicapping their iOS apps to make you think, oh, I, mean, I probably need an Android phone to get the best out of Google Search or to get the best out of Google Maps. Um, you know, they're making really nice
0: applications for iOS, even though they make a competing operating system. And I have to think here also that with Google, they're making money from the ad placements. There are ad placements there, aren't there?
14: You know, that's a good question. I would assume so, but uh, I'm just looking at one of the screenshots from my video and there's no... Obvious advertisement on it, and I don't recall ads showing up in. Uh, let me think. You know, there's obviously the the placement of ads in the search results at times, but in the examples that I'm looking at here, I don't see any showing up. So there was certainly no glaring, like blinking top or bottom border on the screen or anything that had a permanent ad in it. So if there's advertising, it's subtle enough that it
0: never annoyed me. That's good to know. But does that mean that Apple has a lot of work ahead of them to turn Siri from beta? into finished product?
14: Yeah, that, that's sort of the other shock in all of this is when I started doing it, I thought for sure Siri was out of beta, but no, Siri is still beta technology. So yeah, at some point, will it be better when they ship it? I, I don't know. Um, yeah, They have the advantage, obviously, that they are hooked to the OS and they, they handle all the task-based stuff that Google doesn't have to be able to, or doesn't isn't able to do. So I, I don't know that Apple's you know, losing sleep over the fact that Google Voice searches faster. I hope they're looking at it and saying, geez, how are they doing that? And Can we make, put some of that intelligence into Siri? Maybe we don't need to ask them if they want to look something up in the web. Maybe we can have a setting that by default looks things up on the web, and if some person, for for some whatever reason, doesn't want to, they disable it. Uh, it just seems like such a useless added question to me. It, what are the other options? I, I either give up or you look it up on the web, right? So... Uh, you know, I hope they take those little nuggets of things that Google Voice Search does well and, and work them into Siri, because Siri does work very well at a lot of things. It's just slower, um, and sometimes it's not as helpful as it could be.
0: Now, what about Apple Maps?
14: Uh, Have you run into the classic problems? No, but I'm a terrible person to ask that question of because my use of Maps is very limited. I work at home. Uh, If we take a road trip, the car has a GPS in it, and I tend to use that versus the data plan on the phone. So um, what I do tend to use Maps is if we're somewhere and we want to find the nearest whatever, I'll fire up the Maps application and tap in either the business name or that type of business and see what pops up on the map. And on a recent trip, I actually had issues with both Google Maps and Apple's Maps. Um, I typed in the name of a business that I actually wanted to add as a, as a saved spot, and we were actually in the parking lot of that business. And in Google Maps, the place we were at didn't exist, and Apple Maps had it. But then later, we went somewhere else, and the exact same thing happened, except reversed. We were sitting in the parking lot. I tapped Apple Maps. It said this place doesn't exist, and Google Maps said, "Oh, here you are." So you know, mapping is hard. <laughs> is what it boils down to, and there are going to be flaws in in both. Any anybody's map vendor is going to have issues with their map. There's just there's a lot of stuff out there. So and it changes a lot. In the case of the first business, it had moved I think um, four months ago to its current location. So in that case, Apple had updated their records and Google hadn't. And I would assume something similar happened, except the other way around on the second business. So you know the, the reality is if you're using a mapping tool you got to pay attention to, to what's outside the window and, and not trust that it's necessarily doing the right thing. Pick up the phone, make a call before you take a long trip with it, make sure the place you're going is there. Just sort of common sense stuff. Um, so, no, but I, like I said, I'm a terrible person to ask because
0: I don't rely on, on anybody's maps uh, on my phone. And something I should mention here. Even on an Android phone, the first time you launch the navigation app, which is the turn-by-turn directions on Android phone, you get a warning prompt that says, this is beta, you might get lost, etc., etc." All sorts of warnings. And what bothers me is that this is something that isn't being emphasized by the media, that Google is giving you that warning. And maybe Apple's fault with Maps is that they didn't do that. They should have put up a warning saying, look, folks, it's still an early release and we're not responsible for anything. So don't blame us if you get lost. Yeah,
14: and when, even when it's not beta, I mean, that's what the GPS in my car does. You have to have this stupid screen. You have to say, I understand that if you drive me into a river, it's my fault, not yours, uh, every time I start the car.
0: Well, that's right. A lot of cars that have navigation systems every time the car boots up the navigation yeah. system. And this is from a Honda to an Infiniti, any of the cars I've ever tried in my life that have this, you have to tap a button or something. To accept Lawyers. the warning in terms and conditions every single time you start the car.
14: Yeah. So, I, you know, and I don't think that's a bad thing to make people just sort of realize that just because it spits out a point on a map with a line to that point, uh, you should make sure that's where you want to go and that the routing it's showing you is the direction you want to go. Because um, otherwise, you could wind up on a, you know, we've had situations in Oregon where people just entered shortest route from Portland to the coast and they wind up on a Forest Service road over the snowy mountains in the middle of the winter. Uh, you know, that's clearly not where you want to be. So uh, sanity checking results in whatever tool you're using is just common sense.
0: Sanity? (laughs) I think people rely too much on the digital gadgets and don't expect or realize they're imperfect. And I found imperfections on Google almost as much as with Apple Maps. And even then, they will often give you several different ways of doing something. So... I was testing this Android phone from Samsung and the wife and I had gone to a location in California and we wanted to find a location, a way to return home that didn't take us through mountainous roads because I don't like mountainous roads. I don't like heights. I don't want to be 5,000 feet in the air and turn right or look down to the right of the roadway and see this sheer cliff. I don't want to see that. I didn't want to drive on that. So I had to go through a lot of finagling to find a route that worked. And the only way I found one that worked was because it went through a route, an interstate highway that I was familiar with. We'll ask just a couple more questions in our next segment. And by the way, folks, we're talking to Rob Griffiths. He, by the way, has a great history in the Mac universe. He had macosxhints.com that joined the Mac Publishing or Mac World team. He used to work for Macworld, but now he's with a company called Many Tricks. We'll hear about those Many Tricks coming up on the Tech Night Out Live.
2: Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget.
5: Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling sixty forty five of nineteen eighty four, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of nineteen thirty three, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237.
10: Still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by La Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With Lasig e-Cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vapor e-liquids at LaSig.com. And LaSig smokes the competition by
16: You've come to expect winter specials from Herbal Healer Academy, and we're not going to let you down battle through cold and flu season with powerful natural and safe flu fighters antivirals like olive leaf extract capsules and elderberry power vitamin D3 180 caps only $9 beta glucans and an incredible immune system booster our own 4 herb tea capsules and RESPA 8 all specially priced during the winter sale at herbalhealer.com also exclusive homeopathic detoxes for lungs kidneys liver whole body and lymph are on sale herbal healer academy offers correspondence courses to teach you how to handle your health naturally and as always new customers get a free 128 page catalog with your order log on and save big now when you hit the winter specials at herbalhealer.com healing the world with nature one person at a time since 1988 celebrating 25 years in service to the natural health care industry We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts
7: or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl That's news at technightowl Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowlcom slash radio. That's technightowlcom slash radio. Or
0: subscribe on iTunes. Rob Griffiths joins us on the Tech Night Owl Live. And before we go on, I wanted to ask you, you did a piece a while back for Macworld on selling your iPad. And maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Does that also apply to the iPhone or is it more complicated with an iPhone?
14: Uh, no, I think it's the same. And that was a while ago that I wrote that. But I think basically some recommendations or some, some URLs you can use to find values for the uh, the devices and, and get trade-in dollars or real dollars back. And, and I believe they handle iPhones, iPads, i iAnythings. You know, obviously, the older it is, the more precipitously quickly the value drops, which is why I have a very nice pile of very old iOS things sitting here because it's pained me to sell them for such a small amount of money. So they're sitting here and perhaps someday they'll become a child's device.
0: Well, in my particular case, I did sell an iPhone recently. And what I did is I went online, I look for different prices and I look for ratings, recommendations, and I found a place that seemed to offer the highest price for the particular condition the item was in. And I sent it off and a week or 10 days later, I got the payment. Now, the thing to mention here though, is that On a previous occasion, I sent in a perfectly good iPhone to be purchased, and they found damage on it. Ah, And that's one of the tricks they can pull. They could say, hey, your item has thus and so damage. And what are you going to say then? You're going to say, oh, send it back to me, or I didn't notice that. No, you know, nine times out of 10, you'll say, okay, so it's $40 less or whatever, fine i'll take the offer anything just leave me alone yeah you're not going to say send it back to me I'll inspect it if I find you damaged it I'll go to the FTC as if that will do anything.
14: yeah, so once they have it in your hands, you know it's like these it's any place that buys anything from you where you have to send it to them once they have it it's going to take something truly awful to get it back out of their hands. so you know my, my personal preference is either to find a relative that I can give the thing to or um, you know if I can sell it locally through my wife's business. If there's somebody there that wants a used device or I consult somebody I know in a safe environment, I'll do it that way. I generally hate putting something in a box, sending it off in the mail and hoping everything works right. And then eventually seeing something either my bank account or, you know, if you said Amazon tends to pay quite well, but they only pay with, of course, Amazon dollars. So you uh, buy into their ecosystem
0: instead of getting cash back in your pocket. And in my particular situation, I work alone. You know, I'm a hermit. I don't go out that much. I'm not going to look around for a place to sell something. I'm going to look for the easy way out. I'll check online. I'll look for a place that seems to have good ratings. Hopefully, they didn't buy those ratings. And hopefully, they will be honest enough so that I will get all or most of the money that I expect. But don't expect to make a living off selling your old stuff because you'll be very disappointed. Yeah. But that's where it goes. When Rob left, of course, Macworld Magazine, he was involved in... A company that makes Mac utilities called Many Tricks, which I liked. An interesting title for a company. Tell us about Many Tricks because you have some really nifty-looking apps there.
14: Well, we basically the name of the company is is came from uh, the first app that Peter, who is our founder and programmer, really developed, which is Butler, which sort of does everything. It's you know from a UI perspective, I would tell you it's one of the more complicated, difficult, horrendously intricate pieces of software you could ever try to get to know. It's it's not approachable. It's very off-putting. But if you master it, it can do an amazing variety of stuff. So it was our original many tricks pony, as we called it, or as he called it, because it wasn't involved at that point. So that's where the company name came from. And essentially, we try to develop things that fill niches that Apple has either decided not to do, we, we don't hope will eventually ever do in terms of utility applications to make your Mac work better. Probably our most popular, well, not probably, our most popular application is one called Moom, M-O-O-M, which is sort of a a contraction, if you will, of move and zoom. And that's what it does with your windows. It lets you move and zoom them around the screen via either keyboard commands or using a a little palette that we pop up over the green, what I call the otherwise useless green button. You can quickly send a window to the side of the screen. You can resize it using a grid. And the other thing that can do that a lot of people who work uh, between home and office with um, a laptop – is it can remember sort of which monitor is connected at which location and you can save a window layout and have it automatically trigger when the monitor configuration changes. So you lay out your windows with two displays, you save that configuration, you lay out your windows with one display, you save that configuration, and then each time you plug or unplug the monitor, when you have those app windows open, they automatically arrange into your saved configuration. It's been a very popular tool. It brings some some Windows users like it because it brings a little bit of that ability to. Sort Sort of pin a window to a half the screen, either the top or the bottom edge, uh, with a couple of finger taps or a mouse drag. We uh, we just released yesterday actually the new version of, of Name Mangler, which is is uh, I call it our most ironically named app because it's actually a name unmangler. It's a batch file renamer for like photographers and maybe people that work with Windows systems or people that work with clients and want to organize files by file name. You can rename hundreds and thousands of files very quickly following sets of rules to either renumber them or rename them. And in the version we released yesterday, we added the ability to work with the metadata. You know, So if they're image files, you can add image dimensions. If they're photographs, you can add f-stops and focal lengths and, and all the other camera-related uh, fields that Apple tracks in the metadata of those files. The other thing we did to it that just actually still boggles my mind is it, we've made it about 50 to 100 times faster than its predecessors. So you can rename 20,000 files in under half a minute, which is just astonishing. So we got that out yesterday. That was sort of a a big big day for us. We write uh, some other stuff like Witch, which is a Windows switching app that's very popular with, with users who've come from the Windows operating system because it puts a panel on screen, much like you get on Windows, showing every program's open Windows so that you can directly switch to that window instead of using an application switcher via command tab and then finding the window you want. And then we had some smaller stuff like Desktop Curtain that hides your clutter on the desktop and an app called Chemo that uh, essentially lets you move the mouse around in various ways with the keyboard so you don't have to always be reaching for your mouse. That's that's actually uh, popular with people that have difficulty using a mouse or a keyboard because they can keep their hands on the keyboard yet move the mouse around the screen via keyboard commands. And then we have a program called TimeSync that tracks where you spend your time. And uh, probably my, our least uh, productivity-targeted application is one called Usher, and, and we sort of describe that as uh, iTunes for movies. So it's designed to help you manage a movie collection of home videos, or it'll even help you manage movies in iTunes and iPhoto. We can show them to you. You can add metadata and put them in smart playlists and all that kind of stuff. So Usher is our non-productivity utility, and all the rest are really about helping your Mac uh,
0: work. In a manner that works better for you really nifty stuff there as a matter of fact i am going to ask him to let me try out which because i do a lot of stuff with windows multiple apps multiple files because of editing my radio shows and writing stuff so i'm going to try that and see how that works now many of them you're lucky here many of them are in the app store a few because apple is crazy about how they set things up or not but most are where can we find more information about the many tricks Um, products
14: ManyTricks.com, and uh, you'll see we have nine apps, and uh, we are a developer that firmly believes in trying before you buy, so there are trial versions available for every single one of our programs, even those that are in the App Store. Uh, You'll try the independent version. If you like it, you can then delete it and buy the version from the App Store. uh, yeah, it's, we, the, the App Store has been an interesting experience for us. And Name Angler is actually our first sandboxed application. So uh, the rest of our apps that are in the App Store are in there through what Apple calls the legacy program. We're, we're not allowed to update them because they are not yet sandboxed. Uh, but Apple didn't remove them either. So There you go.
0: ManyTricks.com, Rob Griffiths. Thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thank you. As always, Janus, pleasure.
17: March into big spring preparedness savings this month at BePrepared.com. Going on now. Emergency Essentials and BePrepared.com save you 28% off your favorite beef and chicken combo entrees. Save 24% on number 10 cans of freeze-dried raspberries or save 26% on our freeze-dried strawberry slices with purchase of 12 or more. Catadine Pocket Micro Water Filters are 27% off. Try our fruit-flavored HydroPak Combo Water Filtering Pouches in March by 5-10 packs for a 50% discount. Stock up on wheat with a Your supply of grains for $70 off only at BePrepared.com. And this month, power up with a Goal Zero Sherpa 50 solar-powered recharging kit at $110 off MSRP, and we'll throw in a free $50 Emergency Essentials gift card. The March sale ends March 31st at BePrepared.com. For contents and details, call Emergency Essentials at 800-999-1863 or click BePrepared.com. The choice is clear. Be unprepared or BePrepared.com. The
9: National Preppers and Survivalist Expo, presented by Triton Shelter Technologies, will be held March 16th and 17th at the Nashville Expo Center and Tennessee State Fairgrounds. Admission is free and doors open at 9 a.m. Come join us to learn life-saving techniques to help you and your family handle crisis situations. Meet Nat Geo's Dennis McClung to see if you have what it takes to be on the next season of Doomsday Preppers. Walk through a bomb shelter, learn first aid, CPR, and much more. For more information, go to NPSExpo.com. That's NPSExpo.com.
18: And while you're at the NPS Expo, meet and speak with Dr. Joel Wallach, host of Dead Doctors Don't Lie. If you take pharmaceutical drugs and wonder why side effects require you to take more drugs, Nobel Prize nominee Dr. Wallach has the answer. Hear how he took on the FDA eight times and won every time. Don't miss Dr. Joel Wallach at the National Preppers and Survivalist Expo, March 16th and 17th. Admission is free. Log on now to NPSExpo.com. That's NPSExpo.com.
13: what are you listening to? The Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know.
0: We're going to talk about Mac security. We've got Jeff Irwin, he's CEO for Intego, and Lisa Myers, she's their senior security analyst. But before we talk very detailed about the products, Lisa, welcome to the Tech Night Out Live. I wanted to focus on the issues involving Mac security. Now, it wasn't so many years ago we all thought we don't need to have malware protection software. The Mac is very secure. We had that misleading Mac versus PC commercial saying there are 120,000 viruses on the Mac, on the PC platform, but not on the Mac. Of course, what they really meant is we don't have as many on the Mac. So, Lisa, yeah. what is the situation now? What happened to this feeling of security?
21: Well, the feeling of security wasn't entirely uh, well-founded. The, since the beginning of OSX, there has been proof-of-concept threats, and the actual in-the-wild threats have been growing quite a bit since that point. At this point, the the, the uh, profit motive has been discovered, for the, the growing Mac audience and attackers are really focusing on trying to get money out of the Mac people.
0: Well, that's an interesting thing too. I think at one time in the past, Lissa, when hackers developed viruses, it wasn't to make a living. It was to show they could do it for bragging rights. Exactly.
21: So that, yeah, it's definitely changed. There's, there's not so much of the, the bragging rights anymore as there is trying to make a buck.
22: It's also, if I can jump in, it's sure. important to, to note there's a taxonomy problem uh, yeah. in all of this, and that the definition of virus uh, has morphed over the years. Viruses used to be uh, operating system attacks uh, that Windows made famous. And, you know, it's true that OSX only had a small handful of true operating system attacks called viruses over the years. But virus is really more of a, a, a global term now that is any generalized software or social attack that will try to uh, penetrate your system. You know, the, the hardcore like to say, well, there's no viruses on Macs, and in the literal sense, that's right. But in the today's sense, it's not really right because there's malware attacks or social attacks, and, you know, to the Internet, your Mac is just an IP address. Uh, and So you are got to be careful about the taxonomy.
0: Well, of course, one big problem now that we've discovered over the past year or so is Java and of course the philosophy of java was to write once and run anywhere and now it's become more write once and infect anyone
22: yeah it's, it's very convenient that way yeah. um but you know, that's a good example in that in that if something attacks java and you know even apple will acknowledge now that that happens uh is that a virus in the is that a virus attack on a, on, a, on a mac or is it something else
0: well, how would you define it, either you, Alyssa, or Jeff? How would you define the Java attacks that have occurred on the platform?
21: As a nerdy type, I would definitely say that they're malware rather than viruses, just because I'm no taxonom- taxonomical specificity person. But as far as the the sense of Macs don't get malware or don't get viruses, yeah, that that's come and gone.
0: Now, the first Java infection that we heard about—not that there weren't others—was Flashback. Alyssa, tell us what Flashback was and how bad it became.
21: Well, it's uh, it's a backdoor so that uh, somebody can get into your system and spy on you, essentially. It's something that uh, some people call spyware. And they use that to get details off of people's machines. They used it to uh, fake ad clicks so that they could get money that way. And it hits over 600,000 people at its uh, highest point which is a pretty significant chunk of the, the Mac overall user base. As far as um, malware goes, that's worse than a lot of Windows viruses in terms of the percentage of, of users that were affected.
22: And if I recall, that was attached to a photograph. Uh, I don't remember. It might have been Osama bin Laden or somebody oh. that people were downloading at the time, and there was a payload attached to that that uh, allowed this the, the malware to get into the Mac itself.
21: That was one of the... I- Earlier versions, if that was the case, they, the later versions were on compromised logs. So someone would be go, somebody would go and visit their friend's blog that was out of date, and it would have this malicious code. The Java would uh, use an exploit to get onto people's machines. So it would be completely silent. There was no, you know, you don't have to enter your password. You don't have to double click on anything. It just happened silently.
0: So basically, you're doing something. That should make you vulnerable to anything. You're visiting somebody's site, but they are infected.
22: Yes. Well, that's the the scary thing these days that that even Mac users have to take into account is that, you know, as you're out there browsing and you have all the standard software, Java and, and other things on your Mac, you've really eliminated the Mac issue and you've turned yourself into a sort of generic computer in terms of an attack surface. And so, you know, any any Mac advantage you might have had sort of disappears in in these kinds of attacks.
0: Now, it's come since then for Apple to basically do everything they can to dissuade you from running Java.
22: I don't think that's going to work out.
21: There's a lot of people who have like banks or business software or something like that that requires Java. And so a lot of people might like to disable Java, but they've not been able to because they have some requirement.
0: Largely, it's also Internet chat rooms. A lot yeah. of these chat rooms is chat room software run by Java. we thought about adding an Internet chat room to our forums, and one reason why we haven't is because of the Java problem.
21: There's actually security products that, that utilize Java as well, which I thought was rather entertaining.
0: Oh, care to say from whom?
21: I, I can't recall specifics, but there's um, a, a friend of mine was talking about some vendor he was talking to at RSA that was talking about their product and he pointed out that they use java and they kind of got quiet at that point
0: now today are we seeing fewer java problems because apple has been proactive on it or as you suggest are just too many points of being vulnerable
21: when you say less fewer java problems you mean uh, what do you mean i suppose
0: in the sense of mac users fewer mac users are being infected because apple has been proactive Although, as you say, there's still too many points of mischief.
21: Well, uh, Apple was one of the people who recently got hit by a Java uh, infection. Uh, yes. So.
0: And, and Microsoft too, by the way.
21: Exactly, and Facebook and Twitter. So, and that's uh, all they have announced it so far. So it could be a lot more than that. And Microsoft has
22: been patching holes in Windows for 20 years. Right. Uh, I mean, there's there's just there's a lot of ways in.
21: Yeah, there's no end of holes.
0: I know. I wonder about that when I run Windows 8 on a virtual machine, what's going to happen. But I want to ask you also here very briefly before we get to our next segment, and that is about the iOS. I notice you do have iOS products. Is there a problem with the iOS or a vulnerability that has to be considered?
21: Uh, The biggest issue with iOS right now is that it's accessing files wherever, so it's not just... uh, dealing with iOS files. So you could see, theoretically ha, have an email that somebody sent you that had a Windows virus and it, uh, the iOS product will scan that file and see the, the malware and not just whether there's an iOS problem.
22: Yeah, the iOS device is really more of a vector than it is is being attacked on its own. It's, it's pretty well protected by itself because of sandboxing. But as Alyssa points out, if someone sends you an email with an attachment that's got bad stuff and you put that in your Dropbox folder, that may turn around and put that right on your Windows machine at home or, you know, at work. And so it's more of a vector that we're closing with our iOS product as, as opposed to protecting the iOS device itself.
0: So in a situation like this, for example, if you don't have a Windows box yourself, maybe you have a friend or two who uses Windows and you send them this material that has the bogus attachment, shall we say, And suddenly they have a problem.
22: Yeah, it's the typhoid Mary problem.
0: The typhoid Mary problem. I think I used that phrase once years ago talking about (laughs) viruses. But I'll give you the rights to using it right now because I understand patent lawsuits are just really out of sight. We have Lisa Myers, she's the senior security analyst over at Intigo. Jeff Irwin is the CEO at Intigo. More to come on the Tech Night How Live.
4: The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN.
2: Great talk radio starts here. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space.
15: helponline.com
13: You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene
0: Steinberg. On the Tech Night Owl Live, we have Jeff Irwin, he's CEO of Intigo, and Lisa Myers, she is the senior security analyst. So she's one of the shall we say geeks, you like that term. And I am as well. She is one of the geeks who handles this stuff over at Indigo to keep track of what's going on. Now, in contrast to this, I've been playing with an Android smartphone very recently, and it's like Windows in the sense of you have a wide range of security software because Android is an open platform and more vulnerabilities. Are you ever going to look into that or because it's not Apple related, there's no interest?
22: Well, that's an interesting question. It's not that there's no interest, it's that we're focused on on Apple products at this point, and you have to kind of decide where you're going to spend your resources. Uh, It's a very interesting platform because it is full of holes uh, into a security company that's obviously appealing. But, uh, you know, we'd have to take kind of a left turn from what we typically do to try to get into that space.
0: And the thing I've noticed, too, is not only do you have an extraordinary array of malware protection software, but even, I'll give you an example of this, Just killing apps that are running and stealing resources is one of the things they do. I mean, you really have to manage it. You don't have to manage the Mac. And it's quite different. In the future, is it going to be Java the biggest threat to the Mac? Or do you see other potential vulnerabilities just as or just people clicking on sites they shouldn't be clicking on?
22: We're taking a very layered approach to security uh, on the Mac. Uh, we have a new product identity scrubber that really provides security so in a very different way in that it scrubs through your Mac looking for information you're carrying around that you may not be aware of, like bank accounts, social security numbers, uh, credit card numbers, passwords, you know, nuclear launch codes, whatever you happen to have. And particularly now around tax season, when people are doing their taxes and they have a ton of information floating around on their Mac, the issue is that if your Mac is stolen, you can... Certainly, get your data back because you're using our backup product and keeping backups, but you're never going to get it back from the bad guy. And so, you know, one layer of defense is never let the bad guy get it to begin with. Uh, so, we have a very really layered approach uh, where malware's at the bottom, firewalls, backup products, scanners that look for for information you shouldn't be having on your, on your uh, machine, et cetera.
0: Okay, so okay. Identity Scrubber is going to check all the files, emails. Text files, whatever, and once it records this, what does it do?
22: Well, it gives you the option you can you can shred it in a digital sense, you can encrypt it, you can delete it, you can move it. You know, we give you a ton of options uh, on what to do with with the information, in the files, uh, once you once we find it for you.
0: So here, at least, you know where it is, and if you want to keep it, you can encrypt it. Exactly. Okay, that's one of the things you can do. By the way, I installed identity scrubber which is part of their Internet Security Premium two thousand thirteen product. And I don't want to tell you how many files it
22: found. We we have yet to run that product on a Mac and not have it find something that you shouldn't have. It's it's rather extraordinary what kind of information collects on your on your laptop.
0: Now I notice you separate the business from the personal or home products. So What's the difference between a business application suite from Indigo and the home product? Is it just more robust protection, or what?
22: No, it's the same protection. Uh, and really, all it is is we we allow businesses to buy in bulk at this point some of our some of our individual products, where uh, it's kind of less interesting for individuals to do that. We do have a full line of business products we're developing, which will be uh, super sets of what we're offering now. Uh, along with, you know, management consoles. But uh, right now, the the only difference is how people purchase.
0: Do you find in a situation like this that your biggest customers are businesses because they're running multi-platform situations they don't want to have this typhoid Mary situation?
22: Uh, For Intego, uh, it's more small business. Since we're a a Mac-only company, we have a harder time getting into the enterprise because they're primarily Windows spaces. But there's a ton of small businesses that are Mac-only. And so our primary markets are are small business and consumer.
0: Now, one thing also, we do have a lot of these other companies who have traditionally catered to the Windows market coming out with Mac security software. But these things are as far away from Mac-like applications as I've
22: ever seen. We've also found huge performance problems in them. in In most cases, they are ports. Uh, of their Windows technology onto the Mac space, as opposed to really written for the OS X operating system, um, you know, from the ground up. And, and so we have a pretty significant performance uh, advantage over our Windows brethren.
0: The other issue I wanted to ask you here, products like this, they don't go in the App Store right now because you're doing the on-demand scanning and everything. That's correct. Okay. Wish Apple would change that, though, don't you? Hope well, I- loosen that. I mean, especially for security software.
22: Yeah, and actually with the the kind of the sandboxing rules that they're going to start putting in place, uh, you won't really be able to buy too many utilities on the the app store if they go down the path, this path. Um, They want applications to self-enforce the sandboxing concept. And obviously, a utility wants to go scan the entire file system for issues.
0: So even a third-party disk management company that produces products To scan your hard drive and fix the damage. You can't do that with sandboxing.
22: That's correct. And presumably if Apple adheres to their own rules, they will not allow those apps uh, in the future onto the App Store. I mean, they may change their mind, but uh, that's kind of the direction they're going at this point.
0: So as we stand now, you've got a whole bunch of products for the Mac. You've got, what, five different security suites of some sort from family protector, premium, internet security etc you've got several business related products these are available at normal online retailers or best direct from you
22: Well either way um, you know we're on on most of the bigger uh, ESD online sites but you know clearly you can get them from our website. Uh, You get a lot more information about them on our website and a lot more options. But uh, certainly we encourage you to get them from our partners as well.
0: Among your products, the one that has just about everything on it is the Mac Premium Bundle. Is that the one that gets you just about everything?
22: I think so. That's our dreadnought. Mm.
0: So this one here, you can back up. You've got virus barrier, net barrier, which is a highly sophisticated firewall kind of program. Identity scrubber, we just talked about. Family protector—that's to kind of control the experience from the kids, what they do online.
22: Yeah, it's it's. You know, I always think, mentally think of you know mom and dad from Leave It to Beaver pushing their child on the tricycle onto the freeway, uh, which is kind of like letting your kids onto the internet. And so Family Protector gives the uh, you know, parent some control over where they go, how they're going there, what time they're going there, and, and what they're saying, um, and you, it can be just about as invasive as the parent wants.
20: Now,
0: that's the one question here. Can the kids get around that?
22: Kids are pretty smart these days. <laughs> yeah. That's a, yeah. You know, I, I presume they can. It probably takes some social networking, but, you know, get mom's password. That's probably the easiest way. And
20: unfortunately,
0: Mom sometimes has a password, which is password fast piece of advice, Jeff. what should people do about setting passwords? That gets to be such an issue here
22: it is I think it's going to be the issue for the next five years that that needs a solution. Password management is such a problem you know even the password managers that are popular today don't really completely do the job. Uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of two-tiered authentication coming in now because passwords are such a problem. So uh, I think there's a huge opportunity moving ahead in someone somewhere solving the password problem.
0: Well, of course, I guess they could read your fingerprints.
22: Uh, yeah, that, that's part of it. You know, you've got iris scanning, but, you know, that stuff's expensive. And loading all that technology onto a, onto a laptop is, can present a problem. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the dongles. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be that old to remember dongles. Yeah, maybe not. I just remember stacking them and having five or six of them hanging off the back of my computer. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that security, that kind of security is is still kind of an unanswered challenge in my mind. So are
0: you giving us a hint here about some future product or what?
22: <laughs> you You just, you read whatever you're going to read into it. I can confirm or deny, cannot confirm or will deny. Confusing enough.
0: I, don't know I can to... neither confirm nor deny that statement. How's that? Oh, okay, yeah, you're writing that down. No, I'm not.
22: I'm not making any announcements whatsoever.
0: Okay, tell our listeners, Jeff, where they can find more information about the
22: things you do. Well, the fastest way is uh, intigo.com, and you'll find everything you need there, uh, including uh, our blog, uh, which lists is one of our. our uh, most popular contributors to. And we write about just about everything having to do with security and Mac security and the things that mug you.
0: That's where it goes. Jeff Irwin, CEO of Intego. Lisa Myers, Intego's senior security analyst. Thank you both for joining us this week on the Tech Night Owl Live. Thank you, Gene.
21: Glad to be here. Thank you.
0: And coming up next on the Tech Night Owl Live, direct from his trip at the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, Spain, will be Rob Peguerero
11: Of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro EM One Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganix.com, spelled T E R A G A N I X.com, Terraganix.com, or call toll free 866 369 3678. That's 866 369 3678. ProEM
10: One, the raw probiotic. Welcome back to Get Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, it's Uncle Gene. Yeah, it's
7: him.
0: We have Rob Pecorero. He's a tech journalist who writes for USA Today and other venues. And he had the pleasure of being in Barcelona, Spain this week for the Mobile World Congress. I got that correct, right? Yes. So you're not yet suffering from the jet lag, you assure me. But well, the whole six hours last night. It was
19: seven, even, <laughs> an uncommon luxury. Well,
0: that sounds like it was real good. So anyway, is there a theme that you could find at this year's Congress that you can convey to our listeners as to what they can expect in new mobile products?
19: A few. I mean, this this is such a heavily Android-tilted show, in part because Apple, of course, they don't like to show up at tech events. They don't run. Microsoft, they had a presence there, but they weren't really pushing Windows Phone that much. And BlackBerry, they had a very limited presence as well. So it was all about what's going on in the Android ecosystem, with a couple of exceptions. And the two words that come to mind there are bigger, as in bigger phones with larger screens, And um, alterations, as in all the alterations most of these vendors are making to Android to the point where you may have a hard time actually telling that you're using an Android phone by looking at its home screen.
0: It's kind of like what Amazon does with Android with their Kindle, but they really do a big makeover. Are they getting as extensive or elaborate in the makeovers of Android, these other companies?
19: Uh, at one extreme, I would point you to the HTC One, not the HTC One X or One V or One S they sold last year, but the One they introduced just the week before NWC. Sure. Which has, you know, when it's powered off, it sort of looks like an Android phone, except those, the array of system buttons on the bottom isn't what they should be. But when you turn it on, the home screen is, it's this array of sort of tiles. It looks a little bit like the Flipboard app you've probably used on an iPad or an iPhone. Uh, it also reminds me a lot of the uh, live tiles in Windows Phone. And they're supposed to show you news about what's going on in your contacts and what's going on in the world as well. And, and that's their new start screen. Instead of, you know, traditionally you have your, your core apps in Android and then whatever widgets and whatever else you want to put on your home screen. This is a totally different thing.
0: But it's not like email. It's more like social networks and news.
19: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the demo models they had set up, it was a lot of celebrity gossip headlines, which, you know, that's not what I want to see on my phone when I turn it on. I'd like to know what what appointment am I about, am I about to miss.
0: And is there no way to customize what it delivers with this front page?
19: Oh, you got a lot of customization options. I mean, that's, that's, that's certainly the case with most of these things. I don't think you can remove this HTC start screen, but you know that's just them uh doing what they're gonna do
0: they're trying to look distinctive and i've heard it being presented as pretty controversial because there are people like you and i we have certain levels of information we do want to see on the home screen and not the fluff and that's a problem the other thing is here is they're trying to redefine what pixels are in a camera sensor
9: what's that all about
19: <laughs> the, the camera competition is actually, I think, one of the more productive instances of uh, one-upmanship I saw at the show. Yeah, HTC, they, they're, they're talking about it's an ultra-pixel camera. And I haven't, you know, seen enough time. I certainly haven't spent any real time playing with the camera itself. I would want to look at its results in a lot of different scenarios. In my experience, pretty much every phone camera out there takes really great shots of well-lit still lifes. And everything else... It can be a little disappointing, especially if it's indoors, if it's a moving subject, uh, all these other things. Uh, So, yeah, if you go to the HTC site, I'm pulling it up uh, right now. And uh, where's the spec sheets? They don't even say the specifications of this ultra-pixel camera. Uh, I think somebody else uh, checked around, and it equates to a 4 or 5-megapixel camera.
0: So basically here we're talking about trying to make a pixel into something more than a pixel. So how does their pixel or their definition of a pixel get as much data as, say, an existing 8-megapixel camera like you have on a Galaxy S3 or an iPhone?
19: I'm actually okay with that because the the pixel megapixel race is going to be an increasingly uninformative contest. It's sort of like judging two... To computers or, for that matter, two phones by the clock speeds of their processors. Because I've seen so many 8-megapixel, uh, there are now a lot of 13-megapixel cameras that I saw at MWC. You see these cameras with the, you'd think they would take photos that would rival a DSLR with those kind of numbers. And, in fact, they take terrible pictures because it's also things like the sensor size, the focal length, uh, the glass, whatever processing software they're running after it. So, you know, I think... In theory, having more megapixels is better, but there's so many other things you're going to have to look at. So if this sort of gets people to look past that, I'm okay with what HTC's done there.
0: The key is once people have the review units in hand and you can take pictures under low-light circumstances, which is where, as you say, this is where you put the pedal to the metal and see how these smartphone cameras really work. Now, Nokia always made a big deal of the Lumia 920 was supposed to be really good in low-light situations. Has that been the case in the real world?
19: I have not tried that one more than a little bit. I think, I'm trying to remember the reviews I've seen.
0: Well, the thing to mention, as you recall that, is that they got dinged, Nokia, for putting up fake ads (laughs) where they used professional cameras to stage photos. It was like a reality TV show, rather than show what the camera could really do.
19: Right. Well, you know, the funny thing is, it turns out not to be that phone's biggest problem. This is a Windows Phone 8 phone, and the bigger issue there is just, you know, that that platform hasn't gotten an enormous amount of support, an enormous amount of not just the number of applications, but the quality of applications. Uh, the, the Nokia phone I was interested to see at the show was the 520, which is this compact, cheap phone with specs nobody would want to brag about. It's got a small screen, I think, only four inches, but In Europe, it's going to sell for only 139 euro unlocked, which translates to about 180 bucks unlocked. And T-Mobile will sell it. And T-Mobile is going, uh, they're ditching the traditional phone subsidies. So what you're going to have there is a phone that costs no more than any other smartphone you'd see, any other new smartphone you'd see from the other carriers. But instead of paying some price inflated by a subsidy, you're going to pay, you know, if you look at what T-Mobile charges right now on bring your own device plans, think – you could be looking at 50 bucks and change for a pretty high quota of data, like five gigs, and unlimited calling and unlimited texting. That gets interesting.
0: So maybe the best way to buy these phones, and T-Mobile is getting rid of subsidized plans in the U.S., I gather, is to pay for the phone, the full price up front, even if it's $650 for an iPhone 5, but if you're paying it out on your credit card, say, 30 $40 a month, and during that period you're paying a much lower rate for your wireless plan. Once you paid for the phone, you don't have to worry about early termination fees or anything else that phone's paid for. That's over and done with. I have the plan left and the plan is cheaper.
19: Exactly. I am. I'm hugely in favor of that happening uh, because of the financial reasons you mentioned. Also another one, when you buy the phone, it should come unlocked. And that's a big help here. I was able to, uh, you know, I've got off the plane in Barcelona, right in the airport. There's a, a little electronics store, selected electronics, if you're looking for it, in the uh, B gates, I think. And um, I think it was about a three, maybe a 4 minute transaction to purchase a prepaid SIM with voice and data on it. Uh, and that included time to cut the SIM down to fit the microsim slot on this phone I had with me, get it activated. Boom, I had a local phone number, I had all the data I needed, and it worked great. No issues. If, whoever I bought a subsidized phone locked by the carrier, which in AT&T's case, it stays locked until you conclude a contract, I'd be stuck. I could pay some exaggerated roaming bundle for the month, or I could really run out the bill roaming at the uh, the sort of rack rate.
0: Let me tell you a story here. Just very recently, the wife and I took a drive on Interstate 8 from Arizona to Southern California. And this is the kind of story that's going to extend to our next segment. But let me tell you, because this portrays a big problem with the wireless phone industry. So we're passing over the southern tier of California, not far from the Mexican border. So once we had a chance to stop, I took a look at the phone. There was a text message from AT&T. Welcome abroad. These (laughs) are the rates we'll charge you for being abroad in Mexico. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. I hadn't been to Mexico. I was still in the USA. So I called AT&T and I said, what's going on? And they pointed out, well, you have areas there where you're not far from Mexican cell towers, and it may pick up a signal which automatically triggers this warning or this message. But don't worry, you have international roaming turned off. You don't have a problem. We'll have a problem if we don't do this break. We have Rob Peguerero joining Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Out Live. Hi, this is Peter Kronchnabel from Midas Resources.
23: As you know, federal government spending is at an all-time high, and inflation will be a direct result of the spending policy. European government and central bank spending policies have put the European Union on the brink of collapse. What are you doing right now to protect yourself financially? Are your assets working for you or against you? One thing is certain. Having physical possession of gold and silver will guarantee that no matter what happens to our economy or the dollar, your investment will never be worthless. It will protect you from that hidden tax, inflation. If you've been thinking about investing in physical possession of precious metals or having an IRA in precious metals, I can help. Call me today, Peter crunch at 800-686-2237, extension 108. And I'll take the time to personally put together a portfolio designed to protect what you've worked so hard for. Call 800-686-2237, extension 108. You've worked hard your whole life, and I want to work hard for you. Call Peter at 800-686-2237, extension 108.
24: Is this the year you finally get serious about your family's drinking water? If so, keep listening for a special offer from Big Berkey Water Filters. Did you know that over 60% of municipal water is fluoridated? Berkey Water Filters distinguish themselves from many other filtration systems with the capability to significantly reduce dangerous chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, and disinfection byproducts from municipal water via the Black Berkey and PF line of filters. Then there's affordability. At only 1.7 cents per gallon, Berkey Water Filters purify treated and untreated water, even stagnant pond water. Stop and think how much money you could save by simply Reducing buying bottled water and using water filtered by your Berkey water filter. No need to be constantly replacing expensive filters with a Berkey. A single set of filters can last for five to ten years. Choose the best size Berkey for your needs at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. And right now, all GCN listeners get five percent off all ceramic filter systems. Just call one eight seven seven ninety nine Berkey. That's eight seven seven ninety nine B E R K E Y. Or visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Free shipping on every order over fifty dollars. Big Berkey water filters for the love of clean water.
7: We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at Tech That's news at Tech Night Owl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at Tech slash radio. That's Tech Night Owl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on
0: iTunes. So we're talking about the fact that the wife and I got pretty close to the border of Mexico in California, Interstate 8, and we get this text message from AT&T saying, hey folks, welcome abroad. I can read the whole thing to you, but you then look at the packages they had for roaming, and maybe a couple of hundred megabytes is like $120. It's a ripoff. It's extortion. Yep. And this is what they do if you extend beyond the borders. So I was talking to somebody in the international department at AT&T and complaining. He said, look, you're blocked. We'll also block all your services if you want. If you go to Canada or Mexico, you won't have to have a problem with your phone. I said, that's fine. Put the block on. I don't want to pay a dime extra for this. I want to do it under my own terms. As you say, the phone is locked. I have no way of dealing with this. However, I also got the guy to admit, and I said, look, you know, these rates are crazy. What would you do if you traveled abroad? Mm-hmm. Would you use your company services? Would you eat your own dog food? He said, no, I'd buy a prepaid phone from the airport. (laughs) This is an AT&T guy. If Skype can give you international rates of a couple of pennies a minute, how come AT&T and Sprint and all these humongous companies, which are many times larger than the Skype division of Microsoft, how come they can't set up some kind of special program for overseas travelers?
19: Well, in part, you know, they they, uh, they know you don't have any option. You know, it, it's easier for me to charge the price I want if you can't go to another vendor and uh, get them to offer you a better deal. In the case of Sprint and Verizon, it's, it's an extra circumstance of technical incompatibility. They use CDMA, which is a standard. It's it's very popular in the U.S. It's used in Korea. Most of the rest of the world, rest of the world doesn't use it. They employ GSM. In in Europe, the uh, EU mandated that GSM was going to be the wireless standard back in 1987. Now, we had this whole idea. This is something I wrote about in one of the posts I did from Barcelona. You know, we would have some vigorous competition. We we wouldn't mandate anyone's standard, which is not what we did when analog cell service launched. Well, as it turns out, we're all sort of converging on LTE anyways. And in the meantime, this competition, I don't really think it served us all that well. At this point, you have to ask, if we had just standardized on GSM, gotten over or not invented here, issue with it, would we have a market in which you could take a phone from carrier to carrier if unlocked, unsubsidized phones were the norm? That is how it works in most of the rest of the world. And that seems to yield a better outcome for the customer over time.
0: Well, with the convergence in LTE, once enough cities have it, it'll be fine. Here in the Phoenix area, I have LTE here But not here. It's still hit or miss, and I gather it's that way a lot of the places. But I'm just using a Samsung, a Samsung Galaxy S3 here with LTE activated. I measure downloads of 44 megabits. That's pretty good.
19: Wow, that's faster than I've ever seen. The other catch with LTE is that voice doesn't run on it. Uh, Now, the nice thing is if you're on a CDMA character, this this is how you can get voice and data over mobile broadband. The data goes over LTE, voice goes over 3G, or I think it's technically 2G. The carriers are working on voice over LT, but that's going to take a little while to deploy. And there's also incompatible frequencies. They, they aren't quite as converged as they should be. We're, we're sort of getting towards a point where everyone will use the same standard. It's just taking a lot longer than it could have had we taken another, gone another direction back in the 90s.
0: Uh, hindsight is better. Let's get back to the Mobile World Congress. So it's just about all Android Microsoft had very little presence at all. I would think that Microsoft ought to be desperate to get some traction out of Windows Phone. They're investing so much. They gave billions of dollars to Nokia to help things along. Are they going to give it up now or what?
19: Uh, I don't see that happening. I mean, this is a big part of where they're going. Uh, And I would like them to stick at it because iOS and Android, they're two compelling visions of mobile phone use. But I don't think they have all the bright ideas around. I think somebody needs to keep them honest. And if it's not going to be Microsoft, uh, BlackBerry, I've now played around with the BlackBerry Z10 for a very short amount of time. It looks interesting, but they've got huge competitiveness issues. But the the remaining hope, Mobile World Congress 2 open source smartphone OS has made their debuts. One is Firefox OS, OS, based on the browser, you know. And I played around with that a little bit. It looks nice. It was a little slow on some of the, the slower, smaller phones they had. But that is coming to the market, not in the U.S., fairly soon, and we should see how it works as either, you know, a cheaper smartphone or sort of a feature phone replacement that also does things like web browsing and apps. Uh, The other, a little further out, is a mobile version of the Ubuntu distribution of Linux, which um, that seems like a slightly higher-end thing. They showed that running on a tablet as well as a phone, but they're just working on reference hardware. This is not saying you're going to see sold in a shipping phone as soon as Firefox.
0: The other issue here is, is there room for a third contender in this mobile race. It's all Android, and Android's getting better and better, and it's iOS, and Apple obviously is under great pressure to really produce something significant because of the problem with the stock price and perceptions that interest in Apple is not as high as it used to be. That may not be accurate, but that's the perception. So you have all the pressure there to deliver really crackerjack products on Google's and Apple's part. So where is there room for BlackBerry where is there room for open source? Where is this room for this Tizen, is it? This open source oh, yeah, OS that Samsung's involved in?
19: That, that's so much further out. I'm not even going to speculate on that. BlackBerry, they're they in a sort of distinct position in that they have this this enterprise business that's still around, although that's shrinking all the time. And Samsung showed up this Android software layer called Knox. It's isn't Fort Knox that's supposed to allow you to wall off your sort of work presence on the phone, your email, your notes, your contacts which is exactly the whole thing that BlackBerry has been trying to say. We will keep your enterprise data secure. So, you know, that, that's a problem for them right there. With Firefox and Ubuntu, they, they're going after the sort of cheaper, lower end of the market people who otherwise buy a feature phone, which is still a lot of people out there, uh, and especially in sort of, you know, developing economies where you're not going to sell a, a brand new iPhone or a new Galaxy S3, certainly not at the less price. But people do want to get online and in some ways, uh, in some cases, this may be their only internet access they're going to get. So I think there's a lot of potential there. And note that these are cases where people are not necessarily going to be app driven. I think, I don't know, we'll see.
0: Well, does that even create the argument then that Apple really must come out with a low cost iPhone?
19: I think that argument is kind of dumb. They already have one. They, They will give you an iPhone, what is it, a four for free. Now, granted that's subsidized with a carrier contract. But I'm pretty sure they could sell that unsubsidized as, at a reasonable rate. Same way, I'm pretty sure that the unsubsidized cost for an iPhone is not actually, you know, what it costs to make it, even factoring in research and development and all the other overhead. You know, if you look at the fact you can buy a brand new Nexus 4 unlocked for $299, I, I think that the unsubsidized prices—I got this crazy hunch—they don't actually reflect a fair market price for a new phone sold unlocked. So, so
0: therefore paying $450 for an iPhone 4 is absurd. They should be able to sell that for 299 and make a decent profit.
19: Yeah, now the, the issue is here, again, we mentioned this Nokia phone, the 520, that'll sell for the equivalent of $180 US unlocked. That's the competition. And with Firefox and Ubuntu, they want to drive that cost to lower because you know it's a simpler OS. Firefox OS is basically all web technology. There's a lot less, it should be much less processor-driven than Android this battery capacities they're shipping in these phones certainly suggest that it is a little easier on resources. Or it could be the designers that these phones are making a horrible mistake.
0: We'll have to see if they're making a horrible mistake. More to come. Rob Peguerrero joining Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night How Live. <laughs>
20: I lost 18 pounds in just four days. Want to know how? Hi, I'm James Zetta. If you're like me, you've already tried and failed at many diet and weight loss plans. But if you still need and want to lose weight, if you're searching for a simple, safe, healthy approach to lose weight that is extremely easy to follow, listen to this. The 18 and 4 weight loss plan requires no exercising, no diet pills or additives, no laxatives, no meal replacements, and no diet drinks. The 18 and 4 program can help you lose 10, 20, 30 pounds or more, and it fits both men and women of all ages. The 18-4 and 4 program is crystal clear with a day-to-day, step-by-step, and meal-to-meal guide. And the best part? If you're not satisfied with your results, I will give you my 30-day full money-back guarantee. This program has helped thousands lose 18 pounds in four days, and it can do the same for you. Go to 18and4.com. That's the number 18, I-N, the number 4.com 18and4.com. Easy to download, easy to start losing weight today with 18and4.com.
11: of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com. spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, TerraGanics.com, or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic.
13: what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
0: On the Tech Night Owl Live, Rob Pecorero and Gene Steinberg. were talking here about the mobile platforms in light of this week's Global World Congress event, which turned out to be the mobile Android event. So this Firefox OS, being a web-based system for smartphones, kind of like what Apple tried to do with the original iOS before they accepted apps, but also what Google is doing with Chrome, an yes. all-web-based system. Is there a room for that anymore? It sounds to be mm, they tried that; it didn't work.
19: Well, with Apple's case, it was the developer resentment was. Because iOS could clearly run real, you know, standalone apps, and Apple was just not going to let developers do that. I don't think developers generally take too kindly to people saying, "No, you can't play in uh, this on this part of the playground. Why don't you just do your own thing over in that corner? You're never going to make that sales pitch." With Chrome, I mean, if you look at what has been done. Not enough so far. You can do some great work with interactive web apps that don't actually need constant connectivity. And that's what the Firefox OS people are working on. You know, they have turn-by-turn navigation. It is designed so that this stuff will keep working if you have inconsistent or unavailable bandwidth. So it's not like you flip open your laptop on the flight and nothing works. You can only read the web pages you already have open and everything else stops working.
0: It's not like, for example, if you happen to be on Interstate 8, and you don't want to have to be prisoner to the Mexican cell towers and pay all those humongous roaming rates.
19: I'm going to have to ask AT&T PR if they have any opinions on the validity of the Gadsden Purchase. Say again? <laughs> <The> <laughs> Gadsden, sorry, this is what you get for having a little arts education. The Gadsden Purchase is when we bought a big chunk of Mexico right. from that country. Uh, I forget when, but I just remember it's this little segment along the southern parts of New Mexico and Arizona. And I'm thinking maybe AT&T thinks it wasn't such a good idea and they're trying to undo it one step at a time. Sorry, nerd.
0: That's okay. We never know with the way things are going. Other than Android being present, we're seeing smartphones get bigger and bigger until they become small tablets. So is yes. this the phablet phenomenon? Other than a couple of these larger models, these five-inch-plus models... Is there any real traction for a wide range of contenders getting bigger and bigger? In terms of normal smartphone use, it's absurdly big. I mean, over four and a half inches is absurdly big if you want to do anything with one hand and you're not a basketball player.
19: That's what I've been saying for a while. I mean, I've tried now. The Galaxy S3, I think, is is compatible with one-handed use. Sort
0: of. It's it's 4.8 inches. And I could sort of do it, but it's a bit of a stretch. I have long, thin hands. I'm the piano player type of hands. Uh,
19: yeah, I mean, I've tried that. The Nexus 4 is the Nexus 4, I think, is at my upper limit of what I'd want to do. A five inch phone, of which there are a lot, that gets really tough. 5.5 inches, like the Galaxy Note 2, I, I just can't really swing that. And that was not the biggest phone I saw there. There's the ZTE Grand Memo, which is 5.7 inches, there's the Huawei Ascend Mate, 6.1 inches. Both these phones you may not see in the U.S. Uh, These are uh, Chinese manufacturers that may or may not get U.S. distribution. They'll certainly sell them overseas, again, because they don't have to wait for a carrier to tap them on the shoulder and say, yes, we'll sell your phone for you. And then Asus, uh, they did quote a U.S. price for this, the Phone Pad, which is a 7-inch tablet that you can use as a phone. At that point, you have to wonder, when do we see the Saturday Night Live parody ad featuring someone using a full-sized iPad as their phone?
0: Or bring in something like as large as a
19: 17-inch MacBook Pro and right. say, here's a tablet,
0: here's the new tablet, the SuperPhone tablet.
19: Somebody um, sometime last week or maybe two weeks ago found somewhere there's a picture of somebody holding up a MacBook at a concert to record the, the performance with the iSight uh, the webcam. I'm sorry, the FaceTime webcam. Jeez, Yeah, that's doing it wrong.
0: I don't know about those products. I think... There's such a desperation here to find a niche they could make a success in.
19: Well, the scary thing is that they may actually have one. I mean, I have uh, said unkind things about the Galaxy Note and the Galaxy Note 2 in multiple places. And my efforts to quash this product's success, uh, stop anyone from buying it, have been a tragic failure. They've sold millions and millions of the things. Maybe not iPhone 5 numbers, but bear in mind, Samsung sells a lot of different phones. They don't have their one new model for the year.
0: Now, speaking of more competitive normal phones, Samsung has a press event in March, March 14th, I believe, to introduce the S4. Any hints about what the S4 is going to contain?
19: No. You know, they had a very huge presence on the show floor, and they were talking up a lot of things, like that that Knox software I mentioned. But as far as what's coming, hard to say. Uh, You have to think, could the screen get bigger? I don't know. They seem to have decided that there's a little bit of a two-track strategy with the, the Galaxy S series so far, they've been large, but not so big as to defy one-handed use. The Note 2 is getting bigger. Well, the Note 3, I, I can tell you, for me, the, the upper limit for, to call it a phone, I have to be able to put it in a shirt pocket or a pants pocket. That does allow for the Huawei Ascend Mate to exist, barely. It just barely fit in my shirt pocket. And this isn't a a, uh, custom-made shirt. I think that the story is Sony, when they choose the first transistor radio, they had uh, their salespeople wear custom shirts with slightly larger pockets so they could carry it in. The the phone pad, forget it. You're not going to put that in any, maybe if you have some really big pocket in a jacket. So anyways, I would expect on the S4, if that's the name we'll use, you know, it's got to be camera upgrades, battery upgrades. I'm seeing a lot of people pushing that heavily You know, you you will now see the milliamp hours rating uh, listed on the box on the spec sheet. In the same size type, you would see the uh, camera resolution or the screen size.
0: But at least with an S3, you can open the case and put another battery in. Do you think Samsung would avoid that or try some better industrial design? Right now, I think the industrial design on the S3 is pretty pedestrian compared to other contenders.
19: I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, I think the market has decided that it's okay ...to not have a bigger capacity battery. You know, Apple's certainly done fine with that. There's a lot of Android phones. Uh, HTC sort of gone that route. Um, LG with the Nexus 4, and I think the Optimus chain? Not sure. People seem okay with it. Uh, my only complaint is if you ship it with a battery that's too small, you can't do anything about it. So, for instance, the Galaxy Nexus has a sort of small than usual battery, but you can at least... ...or you, you could when it was new in the market buy an aftermarket one from samsung and some other places that would get the battery life to a more reasonable level
0: was that one of the ways they cheapened it just to keep the cost down i mean how much money do you save on putting in a smaller battery five dollars
19: it could be you know if you look at a lot of uh windows laptops they if you buy it in the stock configuration you get the starter battery that doesn't actually last you that long i think also the android uh phone vendors have been a little slow to realize how big of an issue battery life can be. Maybe they don't have people test these things, carrying them around trade shows. You know, people like me do, and we whine about it on Twitter, or we have to recharge by noon. And so now you see it used to be, you know, 1,800 milliamp hours, MAH. MAH. It would be pretty common. You'd think, well, that sounds like a lot. Then we've gone to 2,000. Now I'm seeing lots of phones in the 2,400 or 3,000 range which arguably is where they should have been all along. If you look at phones like the Droid Razor Max and the uh, Razor, the uh, the newer version of it, I can't keep track of all of Verizon's Droid Razor names. They're at like past 3,000 million-hours, and they have really good battery. They're, those phones get great reviews for that alone.
0: Well, I just wondered about Consumer Reports, where they claim that the iPhone 5 battery doesn't last as long as the Galaxy S3, and every review I have seen, and I have personal experience here too, shows exactly the reverse. I just wonder where they get their numbers from.
19: That's a good question. I actually didn't see that CR piece. So I can tell you I did the exact same test. This is part of my protocol. You can look it up on my own blog. Um, first, leave the phone, inert on a desk, screen off, but you know, on the on the mobile network, just doing whatever it's going to do in the background. 24 hours later, I will check to see exactly how much battery it had left. And in that case, yeah, the iPhone 5 did a little bit better than the S3. Um, Then I'll just play Pandora, bring up the web radio app, keep the screen on, and see how long it lasts. And in that case, again, the iPhone 5 was just a little bit better as well. Wasn't a huge difference. I think they're both on a similar plane.
0: And we're going to be on a different plane if we don't do this break. Rob Peguerero, off the plane just recently Mm -hmm. from the Mobile World Congress on the Tech Night Out Live. (laughs) the gcn radio network
4: providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio g c n
2: great talk radio starts here attack of the rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike it's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget
12: Your freedoms are on the line. The Second Amendment is in danger. How soon before your freedoms are taken away? What can you not live without? What is your greatest dependency? Is it your guns? Is it your home? No, it's food. It all boils down to the food supply. Tyrannical governments control people by controlling their food supply. Don't be dependent. Be self-sufficient. Don't wait for the government to feed you. Feed yourself. I can warn you, but I can't feed you. Do like Alex has done and get a supply of food from e-foods Direct. It's the best long term storable food on the planet. Get the popular Mega Patriot Pack free—a 24-day supply of food plus stove, cook pot, and fuel. Call 800-250-1857 or go to efoodsdirect.com/alex and get up to 20 Mega Patriot Packs free with purchase. Build your food supply, be in control, be self-sufficient, and be a patriot. Call 800-250-1857 or efoodsdirect.com/alex and get your free Patriot Pack today. We've lived in this neighborhood for years. We have an alarm system and all of our doors have deadbolts. They kicked in our door and were in and out of our house in about five minutes. The police arrived in about 20 minutes, but they were long gone with our TV jewelry and my guns. I kept thinking, what if my family had been home? the police officer said that more than 85% of break-ins are through a door and that deadbolts alone don't stop intruders. The officer told me to go to easyarmor.net if we wanted something that would actually stop an intruder. Easy Armor reinforces all of the weak points on your doors and is guaranteed to prevent kick-ins. I was surprised at how little Easy Armor costs. And I installed Easy Armor in about 30 minutes.
17: Visit EasyArmor.net. That's the letters E-Z-A-R-M-O-R.net. Or call 888-58-ARMOR. That's 888-582-7667. EasyArmor.net.
8: Ultimate door security made easy. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the dead doctors don't lie guy. There's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. And I'm going to give you a free copy of my lecture that tells you exactly how to do it. In fact, after you've delivered a long and healthy life, there should be only two documents in your medical chart, a birth certificate and a death certificate. I'm Dr. Wallach with a warning. If you have a four-inch medical chart, Again, that's toll free one 855 79 Young. 1-855-79 Young.
13: What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next?
0: You never know. Rob Peguero joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. He was talking about his battery tests, but to be brief about it, the iPhone 5 is a tad better in pretty much every respect compared to the Galaxy S3. I've seen also the S3 and Android phones are subject to runaway processes where suddenly it looks fine and you come back to the thing three hours later and the battery is chewed up in terms of battery life. And it's because something suddenly started running that caused it to use more current.
19: Well, yes, but I should note I've seen a lot of complaints about iOS 6 updates doing the same thing.
0: Oh, sure. And that might even be the issue with Consumer Reports, that the initial iOS 6 release had some battery life problems, as they almost always do. The next release didn't, but Consumer Reports didn't retest to see if this was typical of the phone.
19: It's important to note, you know, what version you're running, because I've seen, I've done the same tests on some Android phones where going from 4.0 to 4.1, set things back a little bit, then they might have improved with 4.2. You want to at least document what version you did. And certainly, you know, I try to test phones in their stock configuration, not add any apps that you wouldn't normally have, like I'll put on Twitter and Facebook and have them check their for updates in the background, because I think that's a reasonable thing to say. It's not so reasonable to say that, you know, somebody's going to, Turn on Google Latitude, so you have some background location tracking going on.
0: Now, of the stuff that you saw at the Mobile World Congress, and we're near our last segment here, anything really and truly disappointed you? Saying, "Now, well, what do they think they're doing? This is crazy."
19: Exactly. Screen resolution. So, okay, I mean, you, you've we, we've all seen the iPhone 4s and the iPhone 5. They have the, the Retina display on there, and you know, I've tested it. My eyes are reasonably good shape, at least for close-up vision when I'm holding this thing in front of my face, I can't see the constituent pixels. I can if I break out a magnifying glass. So that's at 326 pixels per inch. What is the point of going above that pixel density on an Android phone? You're throwing in stuff that I can't see. And LG at their uh, exhibit at MWC, they had this display really bothered me. Uh, They had their LG Optimus G Pro phone, uh, some other unidentified phone with a lower resolution screen, Both under magnifying glasses, and then the third, where you could put in your own phone. If I need a magnifying glass to see the benefit of your new feature, I don't care about your new feature. What's the point? You know, put the money we're going to spend on that, the engineering time, work on battery life. That I would actually notice and care about. But screens too good for my own eyes? Stop, please. They need to have bragging rights.
0: It's all about bragging specs, but that's the wrong thing to sell. I mean, if you look at the ads from Apple with an iPhone, they show you doing things on it. Samsung is showing certain capabilities of their phones. You know, the easy file transfer and that kind of thing. They're showing what you can do, less emphasizing the noise and the spectacle and the specs, which is where Microsoft is suffering with their ads for the Surface tablet and Windows 8.
19: Yeah, I mean, that's certainly been a weakness, throwing out specs. And you can, for that matter, you know, I kind of cringe when I still see... Smartphone reviews that start up with this long invocation of the specs on the thing because people just don't care that much. You know, they they care what these specs mean to the user experience. But by itself, the clock speed of the processor, even the the capacity of the battery are not going to say a whole heck of a lot because there's so many other aspects of the product design and the engineering that determine how much of that theoretical capability comes through in the finished product.
20: Then
0: that's something, of course, they can't show. And part of the problem here is unless they put a custom face on Android, for example, Android phone A and Android phone B from two different makers offering a relative pristine experience with Android, there's no difference. It's like PCs. What's the difference between an HP PC and a Dell PC other than the brand label? I was arguing this the other day just talking about, for example, we have a situation here where the former Apple retail chief, Ron Johnson, goes over to J.C. JCPenney, and it's been a big failure. And I remarked during the course of this interview earlier in the show, well, think of it this way. If you look at different department stores in the U.S., can you tell the difference? If you took the branding, the label, away from Macy's and Dillard's, what would be the difference?
19: Oh, I can tell the difference between Macy's and Nordstrom's. Well, that, uh, yes. You, you can definitely distinguish yourself even in that context. In in the case of Android phones, I think you can do that. Uh, I think if you focus on things like the camera and the battery, which everyone complains about, if you said, you know, we will get you Google's updates when they're out, not six months later, of course you then need to get the phone carrier to go in on that as well. Because if you look at the Verizon version of the Galaxy Nexus, that is the worst Android support ever because people bought that phone thinking it's a Nexus phone, I'm going to get Google's patches on demand. Uh, instead, Verizon hasn't shipped Android 4.1 for this thing, which was new at Google I.O. back in June. Now, I think, you know, that's something that I would pay for. Now, I may be a stickler, and I've heard from other people who think, you know, who cares? I had one other tech writer on Twitter say, well, we were talking about security updates delivered by Google. And he actually tweeted at me, security is an edge case. No, it's not. Well,
0: I know with the S3 that I have is AT and T. It's Android 4.1.1, yes. but I should point out, according to the reports I've checked, Android 4.2 is a little troublesome.
19: I haven't seen that. I actually like it. Um, the, the two, the thing I use most often, it has this great gesture typing mode in the keyboard, where it's sort of like swipe, where you move your finger from one letter to the other. Sure, this is a little better than swipe because it actually shows you what you're about to write. So you can see if it's reading you correctly instead of you try drawing this 10-character word, and you see it got completely wrong. Like I think one time when uh, maybe it was one of these keyboards, and I was trying to write bandwidth, and I thought I wanted to write hagfish. Uh, there's a neat photosphere mode in the camera that does three-dimensional, not just left-right, but up-and-down panorama. Sort of like QuickTime VR. Uh, I haven't really seen too many issues with it. I know that people reported some glitches, but They seem to have been ironed out. I mean, I've had it running on two phones. No real issues with either of those.
0: So the argument being then, why not release it? Well, I guess in the sense of current OS, HTC is still shipping an older version of Android on the new one that's coming out.
19: Everyone is. I walked around the show floor and I didn't see a single Android phone except for the Nexus 4 on display in LG's booth that was actually that actually had Android 4.2. And this is a version that came out in November. It can't be that hard because not all these phones had major alterations. HP has uh, introduced a, a tablet called the Slate Seven, hundred sixty-nine $169, 7-inch seven tablet, runs Android. They, they made one change, which is they added built-in Wi-Fi printing support. It's it's in Chrome, the browser, maybe not in the rest of it. That's not a huge deal. And that that demo model was running 4.1 as well.
0: Uh. How to explain it? I can't explain. By the way, how HP hopes to make a success at tablets, offering something that's minimally different from other tablets—that makes no sense to me. Where's HP's strategy?
19: Well, the uh, the Slate Seven, the, you can get the back. Uh, you can get a version where the back of it comes in a striking shade of red. I think. <laughs> right. Well, that, I, right. I just can't wait. One, one advantage they have over Google is that you know, let, let's not make too much fun of retail stores. You, I presumably, will be able to go into a store and see this thing where, you know, the Nexus 7 is a nice tablet, although I should not one it seems to have bricked itself because I just left it on desk for so long, and now it won't restart or uh, get past the bootloader. Um, the Nexus 7, you'd better know someone who owns one because there aren't stores showing it off, although Google is allegedly working on
0: that. The long and short of it is that HP's advantage would not be specs. Or distinguishing characteristics, except maybe having a rear color that's different. It is the HP brand, the partnerships with retailers, so they can get that thing into any store from a Staples to a Best Buy to any mail order house. And that way they can gain an advantage. Rob Pegarero, where can we find more of your stuff?
19: Uh, you can read my stuff on USA Today. I did a recap of Mobile World Congress for them. You can uh, look me up at Discovery News, uh, and you can find more about me at com. I'm also at robpegorero on Twitter.
0: That's cool. And you can find us on Twitter as Tech Night Owl. We are Tech Night Owl at Twitter. We also can be found on Facebook. Just look for Gene Steinberg. Spell it that way, and you'll find me, I think. We've got another show, The Paracast, about UFOs and things that go bump in the night. And this week we'll have John Greenwald Jr. He has a place called the Black Vault where he's gotten all these documents about conspiracies and UFOs from the government through the Freedom of Information Act at Paracast.com. Rob Peguerero, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Owl Live. Thanks.
10: The Tech tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.